just a bloke in a bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. Huge announcement. Huge announcement. Wednesday, the 23rd of November. So not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. We are releasing Bloke Soccer Jerseys. That's right. Celebrations of the World Cup. Huge, huge, uh, I mean, the biggest tournament in the world. Uh, we are releasing bloke soccer jerseys. They're perfect if you just want to wear them around the house or you want to wear them in the gym or at training. You've seen some pictures with Nico Hines in them. We're releasing the brown and yellow stripe and the white one as well. And so we're going to put some pictures up on Instagram over the next few days or whatever. But bloke soccer jerseys in celebration of the World Cup. I absolutely love these ones because the thing with like footy jerseys, the thicker ones, when it gets a little bit hotter, obviously you can't wear them. Good thing about these ones is is that you can wear these all through summer. They're really soft, nice material. So bloke soccer jerseys, limited amount, guys, limited. And and also there's it's not huge numbers either. Very very limited. So once they are gone, they are gone. That is Wednesday, six p.m. the twenty third of November. I absolutely love these jerseys, guys. Seriously, perfect for summer. Go to the gym, play some local footy, play some local touch, whatever you want. Bloke soccer jerseys, November the 23rd. Limited amount, guys. Limited amount. And we we may not do soccer jerseys again. This is a celebration of the World Cup. Hopefully our boys go over there. They do it a good job. Um, but we thought, World Cup coming up. Why not release some bloke <laughs> soccer jerseys? Uh, and I absolutely love them. I just I can't contain it anymore, Guru. I need to get this out of my heart <laughs> and my mind. Malo, my usos. Malo, my usos. Sending love. From Dali M. Palangi of the Year, a.k.a. Kefe Kemps. What an incredible weekend of footy. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Samoa, a small island of 200,000 people against a huge nation of England. Let's talk about Let's talk about the, the whole admin and the structure and the coaches. It was, I mean, everyone had questions about whether they were the right people, including myself. And I'll tell you what, Guru, this humble pie never tasted so good, baby. It never tasted so good. I was wrong about the admin. I was wrong about all that. It was only a couple of years ago there were letters were being signed by players saying they needed to move certain people on. So whatever they did, however they broke bread and came together, however they did that, whether it was you know senior playing group saying we need this, this, and this, Matt Parrish going, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Whatever it was, it has worked. I was wrong about that, absolutely. In regards to the playing group, I was right about the playing group. They are a world-class side now. And what is so incredible is if you said a few years ago, it'll be Samoa and not Tonga that make a grand final in the World Cup, you would have said, come on, bro. And I know, and this is not to take any shine away from Tonga, not at all. I know that a lot of Samoans would have been sitting there watching Tonga do what they did, going, hang on a sec, we can do that too. We're just as good as, as Tonga. And it is Samoa with one of the great, greatest international games I've personally ever watched in regards to the hype of it all, how it all ended. Let's talk about Suwali'i, the game's biggest next superstar, not waiting till mid-career, not waiting till he had gotten the Australian jersey, saying, no, I'm playing for Samoa. Well, let's talk about Brian To'o. Let's talk about uh, Tim Lafayette. Let's talk about Chanel Tavita-Harris. Harris Tavita, basically saying, I need a year off rugby league. I'm going to go explore the world. Then puts in one of the most gutsy performances you'll ever see in the nine when the Samoa lost players. Let's talk about Crichton. Big game player, big moment, multiple big moments. Incredible scenes, incredible scenes. Let's talk about Jerome Luai. Everyone again, you know I mean, not everyone, a large portion of people 
confusing his on-field attitude with his ability to play rugby league. He was incredible. Three try assists, a couple, uh, six tackle breaks, I think, 17 tackles, only two misses. His defense was actually as good as his attack. Some of his reads, some of his bluffs, where he would rush up out of the line and then take a step back. The Haas for England didn't know what to do. Junior Polo, heartbreak in the grand final, comes to Samoa. Look, Guru, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This Palangi is getting carried away. I can't contain myself. What an incredible moment in rugby league. I thought you forgot I was here for a second there, mate. <laughs> One hell of a roll there. I back it, though. Uh, mate, I, I'm the same as you. I, I, you know, sitting here five weeks ago when they'd been dusted by 60 points, just going, how can they possibly turn this around? There, there is no way it can be done. And you know, I said the other day on my podcast that I think it's one of the greatest turn, turnarounds of all time. And then I sat back there and went, oh, is that over the top? And then I thought about it more and I don't think it is. I genuinely don't think it is. Where they've come from and, you know, you have a look at that first game, England. John Bateman didn't play in that. England arguably got better. Look at all the players that Samoa lost. Their entire back line changed. It, it, it is, they're on their third choice hooker with Chanel Harris-Tavita. In the first half, they had a player simbind. They had two HIAs. The penalty count was 6-2. And they were in front against England in England. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. It's incredible. And I think random stats guy, apologies if I've got the wrong thing, um, source. I think he actually has a stat saying it is one of the greatest deficit turnarounds in international rugby league to go from 60 to down to 27 to 26. Timmy, I know you are absolutely buzzing about this. Speak to me, my also. Kempi, I don't know why we were going to stop Jerome Luai or Stephen Crichton. I want to talk about George Carmon. I want to talk about Monty Beetham, Henry Farfeli, Junior Vivai, yes. anyone who's ever donned a Samoan rugby league jumper because, mate, what a week of excitement. And uh, as diehard Australian as I am and how much I want to see Australia win another World Cup, I think every Aussie fan out there's just got this little bit of them just going, if they were to upset us on the big day, there'd be a little bit of going, you know what? I don't hate it. But that being said, Aussies all the way, uh, it's going to be an absolute corker. Oh, I'm with you, Timmy. Um, Aussie to the death and the Aussie boys, they're coming. They're ready to go. Don't underestimate the Aussie boys. This is my perfect scenario. Close game, Aussie wins by like two or one points because then Samoa can get the respect they deserve in, in, in the fact that I mean, I don't think anything can take away from this, but I would hate for them to come out and, and Australia, you know, score all these points. And then everyone's like, oh, I see it was just a blah, blah, blah. Because people are, there's going to be so many people waiting to be haters on some. Oh, they're just waiting. It's stunning them so bad to see them go through. They're just like, please, please get tailed up so that I can. So see, I told you so. And it's like, no, no, no. It's been done. History has been made. You can chitty chat, chit chat, chit all the day, all day long. You can sit there all day long talking. The record books show Samoa in a World Cup final, and you can never take that away from them. Kempi, I cannot believe the amount of fucking pelicans that are in my DMs and in the comments saying, oh, yeah, well, let's see if they win on Saturday. It's like, oh mate, I, I don't, I, and I, this will sound crazy, but the kangaroo, if the Kangaroos win the World Cup next weekend, that's still not as impressive to me as Samoa being in the World Cup grand final. I don't think people understand how far they've come and what they've achieved. Like, as can be said at the start, this was a nation in complete and utter disarray. For the last five years, every Pacific nation side has been improving year on year on year. Seemingly, Samoa has been going backwards until a month ago when all of a sudden they have just exploded 
out of oh well, I, to, to me it feels like out of nowhere. I'm sure the boys in the squad can talk more about how they've been building to this for years. But man, I just think it is incredible. You know, you mentioned a guy like Tim Laffey before Kempi. He wasn't in the squad. They did not pick him at the start of the tournament. They lose Isaac Tungo. They lose a couple of other guys. They bring in Tim, Tim Laffey, who respectfully once again egg all over my face. I'm not sure if I would have picked Tim Laffey in my Oztag team before this tournament. I thought he was well and truly over the hill, respectfully to him. He's come out and he's been one of the best at the competition. He has been sensational. And there are so many storylines like that throughout this Samoan team. I, I, I am blown away with what they've achieved, mate. It has been sensational to watch. Speaking of Tim Laffey, everyone's going to remember the tries and the good tournament. But I tell you what, the real, like, people that really watch that game, it is the try-saving tackle early on oh. in the game where he knocked the ball out of his opposing center's hands. That changes the game. It changes the momentum. Like, the, the amount of impact Lafay had on that game was absolutely incredible. And, and I agree with you, mate, in, in the sense that, like, I knew he was still playing decent footy. I definitely knew how good he was because I was shocked when he got, like, the Dragons and he let – I couldn't believe it. I actually tried to get him on the podcast, like, when he was playing really well. I thought he was a really – he is – I thought he was a player with so much potential. You take him down to the Storm, the Roosters, he would have killed it. Goes away, out of sight, out of mind. And, and no disrespect to his opposing centre, I think it might have been Callum Watkins. He gave him an absolute bath. Like, it was not even <laughs> close. It was 10-8. Um, and I think they're actually teammates. If I Are they teammates? Or no, they have been teammates, maybe. Anyway, um, Tim Laffey was outstanding. I uh, just... Another guy I want to give a quick shout out to, and I apologize if I'm saying it wrong, Liggy Sayo. Yeah. Is it Liggy Sayo, the number 11? Liggy Sayo, I think it uh, is, yeah. Sayo, so apologies. Um, mate, he's been incredible. Like, I, I, when, when I, think it was a, I think it was last week, there was an NRL player that didn't start over him, and I'm sitting there going, oh, like, I don't know about that. And then he had that big running with Keon, and Keon got <laughs> bounced off, and you're going, holy shit, this guy can play. I thought he was really good. That short side raiding gets the try. Like it is just, it is one of the best moments. Me personally, it's it's probably one of the best moments I've watched in this national rugby league. And do not distract. Do not take away. They dethroned Tonga. They dethroned England. They didn't get some you know two easy games where you know England somehow fell out of the group stages or whatever. If anything, they've had. You could argue. Now, no, I, I do believe Australia and New Zealand are at a. At a a, a tier a little bit above, but you could argue they've had more tougher games to get to where they were. That could be an argument that you could not, not the tougher game, more tough games. They had to beat Tonga in a really close match. And then they had to beat England in a close match. Uh, who else stood out for you guys? Mate, oh, I thought the halfback, uh, Oh, sorry. I went to say George Williams. I almost had the wrong game then. <laughs> uh, mate, oh, I just, I, you know, I know we already spoke about him, but I just thought Stephen Crichton uh, for the age he is at and what he has achieved He's played like 85 first-grade games. He's 22 years old. I would argue he has one of the biggest moments in international rugby league history now and one of the biggest moments in grand final history. I don't even know if he's playing yeah. his best position yet, Kempi. It's unbelievable oh. what he's doing. Oh, critter the clutch, baby. Critter the clutch. Ice cold. Check Asada, check his veins for ice because he's got some kind of ice in his blood. To, to make that call, to make that play, to say, Oh, no, no, Milf, step aside. Oh, no, Luai, step aside. Set. It wasn't just like the ball accidentally came to him. It was pre-planned. Luai and him would have sat, would have been like, bro, we're going to – I think it was a scrum play or whatever it was. They got a penalty or whatever it was. Um, 
they would have planned that from the initial and ball turnover. And so that's not just like, oh, I'm here if you need me. That is literally, oh, Milf, step, Anthony Milford. We're talking about Anthony Milford, like the most experienced half there is. Step aside, bruh. I got this. And not just like, oh, I'm going to stand ten, like five meters back. I'm going to stand super deep. So there's no chance. I mean, incredible from Critter. And we've been singing his praises for so long. But it just shows you that, you know, I, we, we spoke about, I think, last year where he's similarish to a Israel Folau in, in his potential. Like, I understand Israel Folau had has got a better career, you know, had a better career, whatever. But this guy is just playing his part in Penrith. He is a superstar of a team, in my opinion, and I think fullback might be his best position. I don't want him to leave Penrith because after watching Jerome Law and these Penrith boys do this, I never want to see him break up. It'll be like Romeo and Juliet for me. I will never recover. <laughs> never recover, baby. Um, what's another good movie? Tristan and Isel was a great movie. What's another one? that um, Marriage Life. All those kind of movies, romantic ones. Shakespearean heartbreak. That's what it will be like if any of these Penrith boys leave. Honestly, I think the other thing with Critter is, you know, he's come up with his intercept in the grand final. He's come up with the intercept in this World Cup semi-final. That's both when he's playing on the right side of the field. He was the Dallium left centre two years ago. Like he's moved from a position that he was the best in rugby league to the other side of the field, and he's come up with some of the biggest plays in rugby league history. It's just, and like it took Dylan Edwards to have the year of his career to relieve pressure from some people saying. Crichton should be the fullback. Like it took Dylan Edwards to go to some crazy level, win a Clive Churchill for Critter to, to, to be like, oh, well, okay, Dylan Edwards is a guy. Timmy, speak to me. Speak to me, Timmy. Who, who, who impressed for you? Well, first of all, before we get to that, mate, I'd love to meet the bloke who does the salary cap at Guru's Oztag team because, geez, some, some good players in the on that side. The I'm taking some Bicky, don't worry. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll preface this uh, by saying the first few that I was going to speak about, you boys have already covered in the Samoan side, uh, but it is a Raider and it's Josh Papali'i who he, I mean, like, there's been a few critics over the last 12 months with Big Papa saying, you know, he's getting on a bit in age, a little bit slower, a little bit less dynamic with ball in hand. But not just on the weekend, but the entire World Cup, he's been so explosive for Samoa. And he's such a key piece to that side. And I suppose a credit as well to Matty Parrish for playing him off the bench. When I first saw that, I thought, geez, mate, like he's, he's one of the best players in your side, certainly in your forward pack. Get him, get him on there from the word go. Set the platform for them. But... The way he's been utilised off the bench as, you know, a bit of an X factor against a tiring pack has been so, so effective. And something we'll touch on a little bit more in the episode, but when we get to the preview and talking about the final, but so much of the good that Samoa are doing is off the back of their second phase play and their offloading uh, and how much quality they've been able to succeed and how much they've achieved off that. And a lot of it's been off Big Papa. So um, talk about a bloke with just a tonne of experience Big game player. I can't wait to see what he's got in the grand final against the Aussies. Can, can I just throw one more little shout-out in there? And no one's spoken about it because he set such a high standard for himself. Brian Toto, he ran for 230 yeah. metres. I'm almost disappointed in him that he only ran yeah. for 230 because he sets the highest standard imaginable. Can you remember a couple of years ago when Blake Ferguson had that unbelievable year we all lost our minds? Mm. He averaged 200 metres. Brian Toto just beat that by 30, and it's his quietest game in three months. And no one's yeah. even mentioned the 230 oh. metres he ran for. Oh, you're absolutely right. Like, if Todd doesn't play, they don't win. Because the amount of pressure he relieves out of his own end is crazy. It is it is honestly 
invaluable. If he continues this kind of trajectory, he's still got quite a lot of years to go, but he will have molded his own type of winger. Like if he continues this for the rest of his season, for the rest of his career. Now we've had similar kind of wingers, but they haven't had long careers like Toto has. If he does it for 10 years, he will be in his own lane when it comes to style of winging play, winger play, in my opinion. He is just... It's just incredible. Like seeing that that lovely mane just flying <laughs> into the line and they can never get him on his back. He's so strong. Um, but let's talk about Jerome Loy. Let's talk about him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, did I get a lot of pushback because I said that, you know, people need to give put a bit of respect on the great uh, the great Jerome Loy's uh, name? Oh, sorry, boys, just getting a call. How do you turn this one? <laughs> Are you my dad? What's going on over there? <laughs> Sorry, so I don't know how to turn that off. I don't know how to turn that off. Uh, now, speaking of uh, Jerome, uh, honestly, think about the pressure this guy had going into, um, you know, think about the pressure this guy had going into the World Cup. Think about the amount of people that just, you know, again, and to be really clear, if you were saying to me, yeah, he's a good player, but I don't think he's on that kind of really good level. That's a fair assessment to have, and that's totally reasonable. But the amount of people that were like, he's a complete passenger, put him in any other team, he's not doing nothing. It's like, just because you're not the main guy doesn't mean you don't make the main guy better. You know, and Luai plays his role perfectly at the Panthers. That is, he has a role to play. He is a team player. There's a reason, and and Matty Burton, you would you could argue individually may be better than Luai, but there is a reason why the Penrith Panthers felt that Jerome Luai was the guy to partner uh, Nathan Cleary. There is even an argument to say, and I, and I I don't know how I feel about this argument because I don't feel like Cleary has really had a lot enough games to just kind of pull it all together. But you could make the argument that right now Luai has had a better tournament than Cleary. Now I'm not saying he's a better player than Cleary. I'm saying uh, Cleary is on track to be a goat, in my opinion. But I am saying that the the narrative that this guy is just a passenger of Nathan Cleary, it is dead, done. This is a highly skilled ball-running 5'8 that just had three try assists, and one of the assists was one of the best tries of the tournament. Bus off the left foot. Bus again off the left foot. Off to Paulo. Paulo over the top of the head. Oh, you want a bit of delicacy? I'll give you a bit of champagne footy. A little tap on. Stephen Crichton goes over to the score. He was involved in essentially every single trial they had. It was the biggest game outside of club that he's ever had, and he delivered tenfold. And also, people like to refer to Last Origin. Are we forgetting his debut where they scored a record amount against Queensland? Now you're gonna now the, the usual narrative is this. Oh, that was Tom Travojevic. That was Latrell Mitchell. Who was the guy that hit the mad out ball to Latrell Mitchell to break open Queensland off the bat? Luai also had a try assist to Brian Toto, if I recall correctly, or at least he was the one that gave it to maybe Sims to Toto. Um, this guy, is, he's had big moments in big games. There is there is absolutely no denying that. And I'm so happy for him that he's, a, he's a, you know, he plays the villain. You don't have to like him. This is not me saying you have to like Luai. I like him. I think he's a fantastic. And I think if you're on the fence about Luai, go to our YouTube. I've got an interview with him. Sit down for ages. And, and then you can make your own opinion of what he is really like as a human being. I think he's a really decent, good man that showed me a lot of respect and, and vice versa. I'm a big fan of Luai. 
We're not saying you have to like him as a player on the field. Not at all. You can dislike him, but you must respect Jerome Luai. It is out of the question. He is a talented footy player. Once you're done watching that interview with Kempi, go and watch his interview after the 2020 Grand Final after they lost. They stick a microphone in his mouth straight away, seeing what he'll say, and he just says, this sucks, it hurts, but I'm going to bottle it up and we're going to come back bigger and better. Haven't lost a premiership since. I mean, as Kempi said, you don't have to like him, but you've got to respect the guy. You've got to respect what he's done. And if you can't respect him after this, I can't help you. What, what, what more do you want? Like, I just, I don't know what more this guy could do. He plays the perfect role in that football team for Penrith. I mean, do, do you not think that Ivan Cleary was aware that Matt Burton was a good footballer? He made his decision. Tell me his decision was wrong. He's holding two premierships in a row. He could be on his way to a third with Jerome Luai at 5'8". I, I can't believe, Kempi, we're, we're having to tell people that the back-to-back premiership winning 5'8 is a good fucking player. <laughs> I feel like an idiot what saying it. What do you reckon, Timmy? Yeah, the thing that's always surprised me with Luai is just like the amount... Like Every dribbler has an opinion about footy and says this and says that, and you can sort of brush past you, but... The amount of like really educated football minds that have you know said, oh, you know, he's nothing without Cleary, getting by himself, he'll and taking control of the team, he won't be able to do it. Um, and you sort of just shake your head at. And I, I know everyone on this panel sort of we've preached about Drome Lyon. We've said the same thing for a while, even almost before the grand final. Like, what more has the bloke got to do? He's been unreal. So just see him step out of Nathan Cleary's shadow and just prove all these doubters wrong. It's been so so special. Um, and I'll tell you what, if, if I was coaching against Jerome Luai and you just you talk about inside defensive pressure and when the ball goes past you, I'll work your ass off, work your ass off, how many times do you have to step off his left and just carve you to pieces before you stop leaving that little bit of an inch because he takes it every time and makes you look foolish? Um, no, he's something special. Here's a perfect example. For feeder and kicker, would we all agree that they are relatively the same talent-wise? <clears throat> Yeah, fair yep. comment. Yep. Who's 5'8 gets them good ball and makes them incredible? Yep. Uh, we That's- have a look at the 2020 left centre, Stephen Crichton, won the Dalian left centre, who was his 5'8. Shock me. Jerome Luai. The year after that, Matt Burton, who was his 5'8. Shock me. Viliami Kikau, he's just had the two years that have been unbelievable. What's the common – is there a common link or are we just going to all ignore that and pretend like it's not happening? What I mean, hasn't changed yeah. in this left yeah, edge? Yeah, what, what, what has been the one consistent thing about the best left edge in rugby league the entire time? The wingers have changed. The centre has changed. The fullback doesn't even play down that edge. So you can't tell me it's the fullback. I mean, mm-hmm. please, can we open our eyes? The, be- the best thing about yeah. it, Guru, is that we're sitting there and – on the other side of the field, the bloke who, you know, Luai is in his shadow is Nathan Cleary, who there's comparisons of people saying, oh, one day he could be the goat of rugby league and the best halfback of all time, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't even have the most dominant edge in his team. <laughs> it's the left edge yeah, of Luai. Yeah. Like. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, um, look, Cleary obviously, uh, you know, we all agree Cleary is a better player, but this narrative of like, you know, he is just clear his passenger. I think it's got to be over. I really think it's it's just done. It's just done. And when we get to, I don't know, April and we're going, could Luke Garner be an origin smoky? Let's just remember the guy that's playing inside him because Luke Garner will turn into an absolute weapon outside Jerome Lloyd or whoever. I'm pretty sure it'll be Garner, Hoskins, whoever Hosking. it might be. We've got to start well, – I know we do, us three, but we've got to start putting some respect on Jerome Luai's name. It's it's getting embarrassing the way that we talk about him or the way that people don't talk about him. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And to win the man of the match in the big game, like talk about 
it doesn't get more poetic than that. It really doesn't get more poetic than that. Like the big game. Now, I think I could be wrong. I think he's won three men of the matches yeah, in the tournament. Yeah, he has. He's won three of the last four. Insane. <laughs> Insane. Um, okay. Now, let's get into the X's and O's of the game. We spoke about last week how I, we loved the fact that England looked cohesive. They were – they. Of all the tournament, they looked the most cohesive. But we felt we they said the only negative. Well, I said I, I won't speak for you boys. The only thing that I saw that could be a little bit of a negative is they were so safe that they they relied heavily on playing the ball early to their edges, hitting and spinning, winning the contact. Their second phase would come up, and I said I wonder what that's going to be like. And now, <clears throat> obviously, the first time they played Samoa, it was they dominated, so it worked. But I I, I just questioned whether when they get up against NRL players, that that first contact is so high level. Like if you hit first with your shoulder and that player spins out, that is a terrible tackle if you're an NRL player. You should always hit and stick. And so I wondered, will the England, because they don't actually dig too deeply into the line, will that cause problems for them? Because once they do get their balls to the centre, um, they, 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 hit, they hit and stick and there's nothing they can do, no second phase. Now, in, in England's defence, where did they make their uh, best gains? It was basically individual brilliance by players missing tackles. Herbie Farnworth spinning out of three or four tackles. George Williams making multiple line breaks off one-on-one tackles. We didn't really see them strip them of numbers. And so I feel like not only did England um, struggle to adapt to the game plan of Samoa, which was like, we're going to hit your three in defenders and get to your edges and then and then just keep staying in those channels. Uh, because last last time they played, England just kept it all the ball in the middle, rolled all the way through. And the Samoan forward pack being like a, a really big forward pack was unable to keep up with that speed through the middle. So Samoa said, okay, let's try and spread it a little bit, get on your edges. And so that's where I feel like England just didn't... I don't think they expected such a different game plan and a specific game plan from Samoa. From Samoa's perspective, I think they, you know, we always talk about the power and the dominance of Samoa and they're big, they're strong, they're fast, they're almost made to play rugby league. But I think they deserve credit for the game plan they had. And and you, you can even see like in that last 20 minutes, they were slowly fatiguing because they're so big. And I thought, oh, England might get this over them because of how big they are as a pack. But they hung on, they hung on, and it took Crichton's incredible plays and a, a near-perfect game plan for Samoa to win. What do you reckon about the, the X's and O's, Guru? Yeah, I mean, you obviously said, you know, about Samoa, how they played. Like, I thought, mate, the organisation they had on the last play sort of summed it all up. To have multiple guys ready to take that shot at field goal. Like, this isn't a team that plays together for 25 weeks straight. Even just to have that sort of cohesiveness on that play, to have all the different options ready, Milford um, and, and, you know, obviously Stephen Crichton out the back ready to go. Uh, I, I just thought it was so impressive. And with England, I hate to say it, Kempi, but certain things that you see when English sides come out to play the Kangaroos and the Kiwis that you go, little mistakes they make that you go, you don't get away with that in the NRL. And there was a couple of moments like that throughout this game where... It was mistakes that I expected to see from England that, to their credit, we didn't see throughout the rest of the World Cup. You mentioned Liggy Sow, his try. That marker play was oh a disaster. Boy. Like, you, you will never see that in the NRL. You will never see two markers go left five metres out. Like, there was no communication. There was nothing there. Even the, the play that, you know, um, Stephen Crichton ended up kicking the field goal off, 
it was a forward pass from dummy half going down a short side. Like just basic stuff that you just hate to say it. I know the English will get upset, but you just don't see it in the NRL. You don't. And this is the sort of things that happen when the English side does come over to play the Kiwis and the Kangaroos. They always tend to have these little errors in them. They didn't have it for the rest of the World Cup, which was great, but mate, it really brought them apart in this game, I thought. Yeah, um, you're right. And their kicking game early on was not the best. Um, it's just, and, and I also think that, like, when you looked at the game, and we spoke about this before the show, but when you looked at the game, who were all the players that really stood out, even for England? Herbie Farnworth, NRL player, Burgess, NRL player, George Williams, NRL player. Um, then you got on the, the other side, that NRL pedigree, and I know English fans hate to hate to hear this. I, I understand it's you know you feel like the Super League is better than we give it credit for. I agree that the top tier sides in Super League are probably better than most people give, realize, but they are still a step below, in my opinion, week in week out NRL players. And I thought we really, really saw the difference. Um, Elliot Whitehead again, he was incredible. Again, an NRL player. Bateman had big moments, NRL player, and so. It's that week in, week out playing at an extremely high level that we we saw in Samoa, where when the big game came, when the big game came, they didn't miss their little the chances. Timmy, what did you think about the X's and O's of England versus Samoa? It's a good point you make uh, there, Kempi, with with the NRL players, and I don't think anyone, even the, the Pommies themselves, can be too critical because I mean, it's, you're just stating a fact, effectively. Like the best players on the Pommy side in this fixture um, were the NRL players or players that had been there in recent years. I'll give the Pommies a bit of credit. Like, it was such an even game. Like, even statistically speaking, we go through it. Possession, 53 to 47. Completion rate, 80% to 82. Or uh, run metres. There was 40 metres between them. Post contact, 10 metres between them. Re- tackle breaks, 42 to 41. So, so similar, st- similar statistically. It came down to the big moments and who won these big moments. And that's what wins big games of football. And it was things like it was a Stephen Crichton intercept. It was Liggy Sauer going back row going short side. Guru summed it up well. I think it was Callum Watkins as one of the markers and, and shot off left and he went down the other side. It was just again, unfortunately, it wasn't NRL worthy, but it wasn't international rugby league worthy. Like it was just not mm. up there. Um, there was a Callum Watkins agonisingly close dropping the ball over the line. He got one half gone over Tim Lafay on that one. The game could have been different so easily. So. I mean, at the end of the day, the Pommies uh, are out the back door and tomorrow going through to a final. But, you know, when you're summing it up, it was one point in, in Golden Point. That was the difference in it. And I think that was a true reflection of the game because while the Pommies will be devastated, they've gone out in a semi-final on home soil. Honestly, it, it was so, so close for so many reasons. It could have been a different story. Oh, I had a couple of notes that I wrote down, obviously, at 3am at halftime. And I actually went back and watched the first half to make sure I was correct. So at halftime, Samoa was up by four. The penalties were 6-2 in favour of England in the first half. Samoa had two HIAs. They lost their hooker, who they already lost their first choice Mm. hooker during the week. They had one Sinbin, arguably their best player, Junior Bolo. He went from the field. Samoa's two, their, their first two kicks went out on the full. They gave England every possible opportunity they could to be up in that game. They weren't in the contest. I mean, and I, you know, I do feel sorry for England because with ten minutes to go, it's like they were running downhill. They were flying, and then Stephen Crichton just does what Stephen Crichton does, and he turns the game on his head. It was like a four-on-two overlap. And there, is there any player in the history of rugby league you would rather have there in that moment than Stephen Crichton? Oh, seriously, with his record, like we have to remember with Critter, 
it's not just it's not just the big games in the grand final that he's made big plays. <clears throat> they don't win their first premiership or make the grand final if he doesn't do big plays against the Eels, big plays through all of that final series. You can go back and watch it. Try try saving cover tackles. You're absolutely right, Gura. Like this guy. Yes, he like a lot of people. I don't know what you're going to already say. What about Origin? What about Origin? Okay, he had a couple of errors in Origin. Some of our greatest ever players have had errors in Origin. That's one game. We've got multiple other games. Matter of fact, it's almost poetic. In his first, one of his first ever games uh, was his first game of the season, and I think it was his second or third game. He was coming off the bench. You can go look at the video. He literally runs off the bench and scores a try on his first touch. And it, like you can see him make the beeline to do it. That's that's the kind of guy he is. He just has the bounce of the ball. It just <laughs> seems to be where he wants it to be. And when it happens once, it's luck. Twice, you go, mm, okay, maybe you got really lucky. When it happens three, four, five, and six, you, you start going, oh, this isn't luck. This is a guy that reads the game as good as anyone for a center, as, a, as an outside back. Incredible stuff. I know, boys. There, sorry, Guru. The uh, the Penrith legions of Penrith faithful would have been saying this for a couple of years now, but it only hit me when he took that another sort of match-winning intercept uh, on the weekend, and it's just the the great Ryan Girdler comparison. The Penrith Panthers, <laughs> diehard uh, local product, who's come through, is an intercepting champion, premiership-winning, goal-kicking centre. The intercept king, like all my fondest memories of Gerds back in the day, I was pretty relatively young when he was at his peak, was just intercept after intercept. I, I remember one game, it was against the Doggies. Who I, was, I always loved the Doggies growing up, and he took a he took this mad intercept against them. I think the Penrith won the game 40-29. to 29. It was a key moment of the game. Gerds runs about 70 metres. He pulled up 15 <laughs> metres short, and he'd done his hammy, and he's just limping <laughs> to the trial. I think he had Luke Patton, the general, or someone yeah, after him, leg. Yeah. I was just watching it going, how have I not made the Girdler comparison before? <laughs> yeah. Mate, absolutely. The great Girdler. Um, yeah, and, so and just on that, sorry, Kempi, like I remember after the grand final when he took the intercept, Nath Cleary is on my podcast, and I said, oh, mate, it's amazing how he just comes up with these things. And Nath said, mate, he doesn't just come up with these. He practices for them. And I sort of said, yeah, wow. what do you mean? And he's like, mate, he practices taking intercepts. He practices the way that he positions his body, the way that he, t- he tells a lie with his eyes to look elsewhere, and then he'll spring it up on you. And, mate, he's done it time and time again, and it's decided huge games. Yeah, and it, it's it's such a – I don't think he gets enough respect for it, but it's not like he's this uh, intercept king that has bad reads in defense. And you're always like, mm. oh, far out. He went for that intercept again. So selfish. All he's caring about is a try. He's an incredibly good defender, like a really good defensive center. So to pick the moments like that, it's just... And what's crazy is we're not even talking about his match-winning play. We're talking <laughs> we're talking about the one before his match-winning play. Like, it is just like amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. I just... I can't express enough how happy I... M for Samoa, I like, I just, don't get me wrong, it's Australia to the death, baby, and I hope those boys come out and rip and tear, oh yeah, but I will say, this is so good for rugby league, I cannot, like, think about Suwali, the performance that he had, the tough carries, we're talking about a 19-year-old in the biggest game of his life, who decided not to play for Australia, 
had a rocky first game. And we all know the comments. He's not a fullback. He's not this. He's not that. And don't get me wrong. He's still got plenty to go in the ball playing department. There's no denying that. But the amount of tough, strong carries as a 19-year-old, not as a not as a veteran big ball runner that's been there and done that. We're talking about a kid in his first international big stage taking some of the toughest carries front rowers take and skittling defenders. On top of all of that, think of the young kids that see Suwali'i play for Samoa that are going to grow up. And it's for, for all, for Suwali'i growing up, for the guys that went before him, there was a question in their mind. Do I play for Australia or Samoa? There was a question in their mind. The young kids growing up now are going to grow up and that question won't exist. It will be Samoa, of course. And that is powerful for rugby league. Can be just on top of that, for anyone that wants to question the personality, the character of Suwali'i, Go and watch when that game finishes. He's a 19-year-old who's turned his back on the Kangaroos to represent Samoa. They've got all the way to a World Cup. It's what dreams are made of. Did you see what he did when the full-time whistle went? He went straight to Victor Radley, who was on the ground in agony, picked him up, cuddled him. He didn't even celebrate with his teammates. He went straight to Radley, a teammate, to make sure he was sweet. I mean, I think people hear what people around Suwali'i say and they try and pin it on him and his sort of personality. This is a kid in, the, by far and away, the biggest moment of his life, surrounded by other superstars in his team. He didn't even celebrate with them. He went to make sure a mate on the other team was sweet. Like, does that not say at all about this guy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'm sorry, Guru. I'm going to have to one-up you. I'm going to have to one-up you. <laughs> so there's a video after the game. So they just won the semifinal. First ever in history to go into the World Cup. There is a video. Guess who's in the changing rooms at the end, sweeping the dirt up? Oh, <laughs> Sua Lee, the great. I mean, he's got he's got cheekbones from the Himalayas, the skin <laughs> from the gods. It's it's smooth as anything. A smile worth a billion dollars. He's so fucking handsome right now, and he's only going to get more <laughs> handsome. Plus, he can play a bit of footy, kind of. I guess. I mean, he is truly the full package, and I agree with you, Guru. When when superstars come along like this, there's a lot of people around them that make noise, and it's almost like. I mean, we'll get we'll get uh, sciencey. It's almost like the universe. There's large stars that planets like to revolve around Guru, and sometimes that gravity pulls those stars in, uh, pulls those planets in. Apologies. Suli is that star, and sometimes the, the planets around him, he can't help what they say. They might be hot, they might be cold. He can't help it, but he is the star. He is the star guru. Oh, the boy can <laughs> metaphor, no doubt about it. Europe's really that getting some of his very, best b- between. Uh, <laughs> Between buying soccer football football jerseys <laughs> over there, he's just been just getting philosophical, getting getting uh, within yourself there, Kempi. I like it. I rate Mate, it. I'm just I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to my roots. <laughs> obviously, grew up as a soccer player. Just getting very. I mean, I'm in Europe. I'm in the, the an area of love. So maybe the love is just bringing it out of hey, me. Hey, on that one, Kempi. On that one, you've bought just about every soccer jersey in uh, in Europe. Who, who's your teammate? Who, who's your favourite out of all those? I don't. I don't watch soccer anymore. Oh. Um, <laughs> I my I wanted to go over and every every place that I go, I wanted to buy their soccer jersey as like a memory. Yeah, mad. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. So do I have a Barcelona and a Real Madrid jersey? Yeah, I do. Do I give a fuck? No. Um, <laughs> this one is Ajax. So this is from Amsterdam, and then I'll get the PSG one from uh, France. Um, <laughs> but yeah, funny story actually being over here. Uh, and I might actually put a little video up on my personal page about it. So every cab we get into, we get in, we sit down. 
And look, I have a yarn. I love to have a yarn at cabbies. You know, they're they doing their job, but you know, make make it interesting. Anyway, so we get in, we, we test the test the, the water, see if he wants to have a yarn. He wants to have a yarn. Every single time they ask me, uh, "Where are you from?" or me and my wife, "Where are you from?" and we say Australia, and they say Sydney. And as soon as they say Sydney, I say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we live there, but I'm not from there." And then the missus blows up because then I go into a ten minute spiel how <laughs> origin. I'm from Queensland, New South Wales. I start Wally the King. I ease into Freddie 2004. I take him through Joey 2005. I just just mosey on into Lockyer, scooping that ball up from that poor pass. Then I go through Jonathan Thurston, kicking field goals with our arm. I go through Cam Smith. I think it's game three, 2017. Then I just, I just slowly, delicately put them into Munster's debut. And then I finish them off with... Billy Slater in his first ever coaching role, winning. And then, and then, and, then and I then, say this. And then on the and longer, then I say this. <laughs> go Dozer! And then I just go silent. And then on the longer journeys, he gets into why the Fox was unlucky not to get picked this year for the Blues. <laughs> yes, yes. And I talk about the controversy surrounding the fact that the Australian wing couldn't make the New South Wales side. Um, and so put it this way, my missus fucking hates it and she hates it even more than the start of the trip. She, matter of fact, she blew up, not blew up, but she was like, oh my God, he always does this. We live in Sydney. This is the last cab ride that we did. But look, fair play to her. She's probably right. Do I need to go down the history of origin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she just moved in the bed. So I'm about to get hit over the back of the head. Um, Anyway, uh, back to the footy boys. It's fucking not about me. Uh, Yeah, so look, Samoa, what an incredible moment. I honestly... Whether they get beaten by 30, whatever, I'm not saying that they will, but whether they do or don't, it is irrelevant. This is amazing. Don't allow the slow progress, like, don't allow, put it this way. I'll get more philosophical for you, boys. We often make, we often judge our past with information that we have now. So we go, oh, I can't believe that I did this or that a year ago. But what you're not taking into account is you didn't have that information back then. You were a, you had less information to make certain decisions. So don't allow the fact that they're now in the, the grand final of the World Cup to overshadow the fact that six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, no one gave these guys a chance. Four weeks ago, literally no one gave these guys a chance. Do not forget the incredible achievement of the nation of Samoa. That's what I think. Anything else on Samoa, boys? Yeah, I just think as well, like when you go back, if you go back, as you just said, using the information we had at the start of the competition, you looked at the draw, it was obviously made to have the Kangaroos and the Kiwis play in the semifinal, which for me, I thought it has to be England or or Tonga that are going to be in this grand final. There's no other way it can happen. And I think Mm. if most people are honest, they'd agree that's how they had it. Samoa had to beat both those sides to get to where they are. It's it's, it's crazy. It was... You know, it was a very interesting draw. Let's just put it that way. Very interesting draw that the two biggest nations would be on the same side of it. I'm just going to leave that there on a table. <laughs> just going to leave it on a table. You can take with it what you will. Um, but, yeah, incredible stuff. So good. Look, England, I know they'll be devastated because they're probably the most impressive of the tournament. They really were. And as I said, I say it every week. Look, do I think Australia just a, a tier above in regards to their, the players they have? Yeah, for sure. But when it comes to impressive team and consistency, England were probably the best side so far. So although it almost feels like a disaster for England, I still don't think – I don't think it is a disaster for England. I, I really don't. I don't think 
I don't think that they should go back and say, we need to rebuild everything and blah, blah, blah. I think it's just, as Tim, you suggested, this is a one-point game and it took one of our game's best big game players to pull multiple things out of his ass to win the game. I think they're still building something special over England. I really, really do. Um, thoughts on that, boys? Yeah, mate, I agree. I'll tell you what, though, as an Aussie, there's nothing I love more than seeing an <laughs> English side drop out in a World Cup out of nowhere. It's just, oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. They do it. They do it quite often a, a, across a vast array of sports. And as an Aussie, you know, being biased one hundred percent, I fucking love it. It's funny, isn't it? It's like what you said. I said at the start that there's that just a tiny little smidge of you that goes, if Samoa win, it'll be good for league, and you'd be semi okay with it. With England, it's like no, I hope we fucking go and put two hundred on them, and <laughs> yeah. send them back, send them back home with their legs tail between their legs and yeah. that. And um, and yeah, it's funny you said it well, Kempi, but the, the Poms, they'll be so shattered with the way they went out of the competition. But when they look back purely on the footy that they put together across every single game, they didn't lapse like they played such terrific rugby league. They're a joy to watch. They executed. Uh, in a competition where there's there's been a lot of naturally clunky attack with a lot of different combinations getting together, the Pommies have just been beautiful to watch. I've, I've really enjoyed them. Um, I mean, not probably unearthed talents from England, but for us Aussies who don't watch stacks and stacks of Super League, just seeing some of these players come out of it, and uh, they, they've got a lot to be proud of, the Pommies. And that, mate, it's a young squad. Mm. It is a young squad in key spots. How, how old's George Williams? He'll be running around the next one, won't he? Was he? 25 or 6, something, okay. yeah. So he'll be running Time around. Man. Radley will be there. The 5'8 will be there. There's, you know, your, your Dom Youngs, these sort of guys. Like, it's, it's as much as it's disappointing for them to lose here, geez, they'll be confident going into the next one because all those guys will be 27 George, to 31. George Williams is 28. Close. Okay, so he'll be 32. <laughs> That's all right. That's sweet there. I mean, yeah, it's a really good spot for them to build from here. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to give a, a quick shout out to Tommy Mackinson as well. Mm. Fuck, he was good. He was really good. He was probably one of the bigger, better purely Super League players. A few of his carries that he would like crab across field and you'd think, oh, he's about to get dragged back into goal and then he would make half a line break. His goal kicking was really good. And I think he, he should be there next uh, next um, World Cup. Shout out to Elliot Whitehead. I thought he was incredible. And I saw a lot of uh, English fans filthy at him that he threw that ball and like, oh, we would have taken the two, you know, we would have field goal from there or whatever. Come on. That's ridiculous. Like he threw that ball because there was a a potential try on the line. Whereas if he takes the tackle, the percentage play to field goal, like they're so hard to hit as if you're just going to guarantee it. Um, Yeah, I thought Elliot Whitehead was you know, uh, George Williams was probably their best, but Elliot Whitehead was right up there. Um, I will say, if you want to have a massive laugh, uh, <laughs> holy shit. So the England Rugby League Instagram put the result up and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of Samoans absolutely peppering <laughs> England. So there's nearly 2,000 comments and I reckon about three of them are from England fans and the rest of them are just Samoan flags and like, fuck you, um, thanks for letting us use your field all this kind of shit so go have a read it is ruthless it is brutal and look fair play to England Instagram team for just like letting it go because yeah. like it is psycho England Rugby League Instagram the result check it out it's hilarious read um, yeah uh, look to be, if I'm being honest I agree with you guys in regards to and I'm sure England feel the same way but even the commentators oh 
It's making me so mad. It's like, do you realize there's two teams in this and that you you should like, you should probably like celebrate. Like, I understand they were good. They were good at the call by call when Samoa did what they did. But man, some of the commentary, I'm just like, bro, we're watching history right now. And all you can talk about is, um, so that was a bit frustrating. But again, I understand. Look, Australian commentators are probably the same. So maybe we're all guilty of it. Uh, look, I was, if I'm being honest, I'm with you guys. England getting bounced. I was honestly nearly on a flight out to Western Sydney and going to the, the uh, <laughs> parades with my Usos. That's how, that's how much I wanted to celebrate with the fucking boys. Uh, it, it did feel good. It did feel good. And, mate, how, um, how good are all those videos that you're seeing from out in Western Sydney? Like, mm-hmm. it's just – it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I know it's easy to say, oh, the Rugby League World Cup doesn't matter. Fucking bullshit. Once again, open your eyes. Have a look at the impact it's having on this community and the impact – it's going to have on the Samoan community moving forward in the future. It's so good for rugby league. It's unreal. Yeah, and it, when people say that, it comes from a position of because you because rugby league is so big in Australia, and you don't see what happens over in Samoa or what the what the the communities go through over there. You don't understand the impact that it has. Like it is, it's sport for countries like that. That, that have, a, have been through a really tough last few years, like if you go and look at what Samara has been through, it uplifts, like put it this way, when we were going through coronavirus and we we imagined every weekend without rugby league, that that was just a small little bit of happiness that we could look forward to in when there was nothing else to do. With Samoa, like they've got a lot of tough things. It's a beautiful island. I'm not saying it's constantly like that, but what I'm saying is it unites people that may not have as much that we have in Australia. We, we have so much things in Australia. And so to say it doesn't mean anything is crazy. It, it could change thousands of kids' young lives that you know may go down the wrong path or the right path or whatever, but they go down the rugby league path and all of a sudden their life's changed, their family's life changed. It, I mean, the knock-on knock effect is crazy. A lot of the Polynesians, they give money back to their families if they make it in rugby league. It, again, we could sit there for an hour and say the impact that it has. So... The impact is absolutely incredible, and it's only a positive for rugby league. It's only a positive for rugby league. Um, now, on to the next game, boys. Anything else you wanted to just um, add on there? No, I think we've covered it all, mate. Just a just a great rugby league moment. So like international rugby league, whatever, just in, in general, a great mm-hmm. rugby league moment. Unreal. Absolutely. Now, on to Australia versus New Zealand. <laughs> Look, boys, I was uh, took the missus to a, a fancy restaurant that night. Well, it was already planned. So if there's there was a part of me that was like, oh, no. Uh, oh, I didn't know this was going to be on the day that Australia played New Zealand. Um, look, did I have me phone in me? Footy. <laughs> I, I actually saw this on your Instagram and I did the maths and I thought, oh, he's going to be in some curry here. This will be interesting. <laughs> and so we're in this fancy restaurant and it's fucking, look, I fucking had to take a fucking mortgage out to pay for the bloody bill. Um <laughs> So we're in there and I'm going, oh man, this is like, this is not good. And I thought, so we got there, I think at seven. And so I'm thinking, oh, so no, I think it was even 6.30. Anyway, the kickoff was what, 8.55? I anyway, so I'm time. thinking, yeah. oh yeah, this this is my, my time. Sorry, this is my time or your time. So I'm thinking, oh, we got we got a good solid like hour and a half here before the game kicks off. I might be able to just, just pick the pace up a little bit with this dinner, you know, <laughs> just pick it up a bit. Here for a good time, not a long time, baby. Anyway, it ends up being like a three-hour friggin' multiple-course <laughs> meal thingo. 
And so I've got the footy. I'm like, look, I have to watch this. This is Australia versus New Zealand. I said, look, if it was if it was during the st- like the group stages, I would wouldn't watch it. This is Australia versus New Zealand. Um, and so all of these like waiters dressed in full suits and that are constantly walking past me, giving me massive greasies because I've got this <laughs> beautiful woman at a beautiful restaurant and I've got the footy in me palm and I'm doing these ones. Don't you fucking ruin my holiday at the end there where we nearly fucking lost it. And anyway, the boys got up. They made me holiday. I mean, interesting game, interesting game. I feel like we were to a degree vindicated in the sense that they need more time playing together. They need more time playing together. I thought Cleary was quite quiet in the first half. I thought his second half was he started to realize that, you know, we need to get it to the edges here. I feel like the New Zealand forward pack probably won the battle there. We kind of knew this going in. We all kind of rated New Zealand's forward pack better than Australia's, but we thought Australia's outside backs were better than New Zealand's. So I, I really like the fact that Munster and, and Cleary identified that, started spreading the ball, hitting their edges to take away from that forward pack dominance. Um, now, there were a lot of people talking negatively about Cleary, like he had a terrible game. I disagree. I think that he took matters into his own hands and changed his game. I think if Cleary plays this game two years ago, he just sticks to the plan and we probably get beaten. I think the more mature Cleary realized, I can't play the way I usually play. So let me run the ball more. Let me try to make some uh, line breaks, some tackle breaks. He had a, quite a few line break assists. Um in saying all of that, there wasn't any specific one player that really stood out to me for Australia. I thought Liam Martin was a dog. He's a motherfucker, and I love that shit. I thought he was probably our best um, in regards to consistent across the whole match. Uh, look, I love Jackie Whiten. I've got to say, I want to say something about Jackie Whiten. I, a few years ago, I didn't get it. I thought he was a good NRL player, but I didn't get the raps that he's got. Even when he got a bit, he got selected for Origin initially. I was like, I don't know if I see it. I don't know if I see it. And then every time I watch him, outside of like one or two games or whatever, I start to realize that it's because I'm trying to pigeonhole Jackie Whiten into a position and say, how does he compare to other three sixes once? Instead of saying, how important is he to a rugby league side? He is got to be in a 17 it doesn't matter where you put him you fucking get him on that field um latrell mitchell although he had i think like one or two errors some of his big plays in defense seriously like he had that so he had that initial drop ball from the crossfield kick which is understandable because you you don't know whether you're the one that's supposed to race in or ado car is the one that's going to race in across but after that he caught every single ball and some of his defensive reads literally won us the match if we don't have a big big body like Latrell Mitchell sitting in that centers, just chopping blokes. I, I think that we get a few tries scored on us. Um, some of his, towards the end there, like when he hit the afterburners on an out ball and then he flicked the ball back in, uh, it, like that sight, when he explodes, it, I, it doesn't matter how many times you see the great Trelly Mitt explode, it's still shocking to see a bloke that big move like that. It's shocking. Um, Bala Fox, what a try. We t- I mean, last week we talked about how Yes, okay, you could argue the modern winger is big, makes heaps of meters, does all the tough carries. I would argue Adokar does the tough carries. Is he as good as like a Toto in the tough carries? No. But what did he need to make a crucial play in the game? It was speed and finishing. Without that try, obviously we don't win it. Um, Boys, give me a thought. Australia versus New Zealand. Just on that Josh Adokar try, like when he scored it, I straight away thought, 
oh, fullback and winger must have been out of position. Mm. Went back and watch it. Weren't that far out of position. It was just a perfect kick and just the yeah. fastest guy on the field. Like, he, he never dropped from top pace that entire time, Josh Adokar. It's like there's certain moments where there's only one guy that could have possibly done that. And I think he's the only guy that could have done it in that moment. You mentioned Jack White, mate. I mean, like, we, we always see him playing down the left edge. That right foot step that he showed us the other day, we don't see enough of that. That was sensational. I also thought early in the game, it was sort of forgotten, but some of his, his cover defence, they made a number of breaks down that edge. Like, Dylan Brown was really worrying them down that edge. And some of the tackles that Jack White made, especially on the other side of the park that he usually plays on, I, I thought he was sensational. I can see you're jumping out of your skin to comment about Jackie Boy, so I'll hand over to you. It wasn't just Jackie. It was just the amount of... Uh Raiders love that's been on this podcast so far. <laughs> really enjoying it for a change. So uh, he was, and and the game itself, it was interesting. It was like the first twenty, the Kiwis just turned up. They were so good in defence. They were whacking us. Their line speed was exceptional. Uh, I think we we're probably somewhat fortunate to have that. The Fox try, which was dead set poetry in mm. motion. But you sort of sitting there going, "Geez, we're lucky that it is six all, or whatever it was at the time." Um, <laughs> I thought, you know, even going into half time, I was very concerned. I thought the Kiwis had the better first half. A lot of their game plan was off the back of, all right, <coughs> the Aussies maybe have a bit of a class edge on us, uh, particularly, you know, maybe a little bit more clinical in attack. But we've got size, we've got brute force, let's get this second phase play going. And they had something like 13 offloads in the first 33 minutes, and Gilles doing some damage to us. I thought going into the second half, maybe they protected their lead a little bit too much. They had a few key errors, particularly in the back end of the game, but I thought they were protecting protecting their lead. I think they finished up with 16 offloads, so it might have been three offloads in the last 45 minutes or so. Now, conditions and plenty of different things might have contributed to that, but yeah, it was just a fantastic game of footy. And Kempi, you touched on him, but the one for me who... Credit to Mal on what I wanted from the 17 to be selected for the game. I was very happy with it. Probably the one from the start of the World Cup that I was a little bit like, don't know if he's worthy of being in the starting team, and that's Liam Martin. He was outstanding in this game of footy. I knew he was reliable and would do a job and whatnot, but he was the enforcer for us, and he whacked, I think, Big Nelson for Solomona. He whacked one of the other... Uh, might have Fisher-Harris Fisher yep. as well In the space of a couple of minutes He just set the tone for us At a time when The Kiwis were on top of us And they were dishing out all the damage And uh, Liam Martin He was given man of the match um, uh, On the game day And I thought he was the I don't know if you say he was the difference But he was my man of the match by a mile It was a classic game for Liam Martin I think Latrell Mitchell said it after the game He said there wasn't much ru rugby league play It was just whoever's mm. going to hold the ball And whoever's going to last the longest And if you want someone in the trenches with you, yeah. it's Liam Martin every day of the week. I, I thought, you know, obviously in that grand final, he had a great performance. We spoke with three of us, spoke about it that day. But great to see him get some recognition on a big stage like that. Just show how good he is. And, you know, I think if you would have asked at the start of the World Cup, does Cam Murray start or does Liam Martin start? I don't think anyone would have said Liam Martin. But, fuck, I, I think he justified it there the other day. Who, who has gas in the tank well, the last couple of minutes, um, you know, playing off the bench, Cam Murray for the, the match-winning try. Yeah. You know, both of those decisions straight away go, well, he's nailed that, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, I spoke about last week where I said I didn't – I wanted Cam Murray on that edge, and then I saw what Mal was trying to do. I, I saw the fact that Liam Martin is an edge player, whereas Cam Murray, he speed around the ruck. Mal's using him in a very specific way, and we know – via like 
Keir Murray does a great job on the edge for New South Wales defensively. He just shores everything up. But we know at club level, when they did move him out to the edge, they lost the impact that he had in the middle. And so I think it's whoever made that decision, whether it was Mal or whoever, I mean, it had to be Mal, he's a head coach. That That's almost a masterstroke. Like, how often do you see a coach's decision dictate the result of a game? To keep Cam Murray on the bench, who arguably you could say was coming into better form than any other 13 in the comp coming into the World Cup, um, to keep him on the bench instead of the edge, even though he plays the edge for New South Wales, and then he comes on, and okay, they got a penalty for a bit of push and shove, whatever, then immediately gets the ball, and, and his speed and quick play the balls and his try are game-defining. So the coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for that. And credit to Mal on that one. I want to pose a question to both of you. Why on earth did it take us 55 minutes to see Tino? Yeah, that's, it was an interesting one. I think maybe age, experience, I'm not sure. Because I thought he was quite good when he came on Tino. He played 14 uh, minutes. Well, I think he's our best front row. I really do. He was very I, good when he came on. I, I'm, well, I was t- very surprised it took so long. Well, the tough thing is, is like Paddy comes on and fucking kills it. So, like, I think they, they try to give Paddy as much time as, as he can get. Because, like, Paddy came on last game, killed it. This game he came on and in, you know, he ran for 100 metres, um, 25 tackles. So he gets through so much work that I wonder whether, because you've got a Jake Trebojevic in the side and a Patrick Carrigan, maybe they eat up the minutes for a, a guy like Tino. Um, because you've got Jake Trebojevic that plays for about 42 minutes, which is unders for him. Then you've got... Uh, You've got obviously Paddy who can play really long minutes, so I think it might be just, uh, yeah, just just a matter of that. Oh, I thought it was very interesting though, and you know, obviously the New Zealand they've got a fantastic forward pack. They played well. Half time, Campbell Gillard and Jake Chavoyevich they'd combined for seventy two meters. I was just sitting there going, "All right, this is the set we'll put <laughs> Tino on. This is the set we'll put Tino on." I did it for fifty five minutes. I yeah, I, I, I personally, I'd be looking at probably. Um, Starting him next game. And when did that forward, that, that momentum through the middle shift? Definitely not the first half. No. I, I'd say from memory around about the 50-minute mark, which off the top of my head, nearly exactly when he came on. Yeah, 55th minute he came and on. And it turned for the whole rest of that second half. So, yeah, you know, it's only one player, but yeah. it's saying something, isn't it? I, I, I see where you, I absolutely see where you're coming from. And I don't know what the right answer is because, you know, you could be absolutely right. I personally think Mal, he understood we need to outlast these guys. So keep the experience, Jake Tavoyevich mm. and that on as long as we can to take the brunt of that massive forward pack that's just almost impossible. And then we bring on our young explosive players for that last 30 minutes or so to take the game away. And yeah, I, I don't know what the right answer is. Maybe if they come on earlier, they win by more or whatever. But I, I'm just trying to think, what would Mal's thinking be? And I think it's it's almost, I don't know what his rotation like was for Queensland, but it seems Queenslander-ish. Let's withstand this Blues pack that is supposed to be better than us, blah, blah, blah. Then we win the game in the last 20 minutes. Mm. Now, again, I don't have the data on that. Maybe it's total nonsense. But that seems the way that Mal kind of likes to coach, I guess. But it, it, it could be total nonsense, and you guys could be absolutely right. Tino should be on the field for longer. It's, uh, it's a really interesting topic. It's a really interesting topic. I'm and, not sure. And it was just like, like yeah. I, I didn't really see anything throughout the group stages that made me think that was going to occur as well. Like It sort of came out of the blue. For, I don't mm. know. Maybe I've just slipped on it or missed something, but I didn't see that coming. I don't know if you're the same guru, but I feel a bit dirty talking about Queenslanders and saying they should be getting more minutes <laughs> than, our, than, our, uh, than our Blues boys. But uh, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
Because, um, I mean, when you look at it, uh, Jake Jabrovic, 23 tackles, zero misses. Regan Campbell-Gillard, 21 tackles, only one miss. Pretty good for you, both your front rowers. Um, actually, I'll just check the New Zealand ones to see what their front rowers were like. Uh, in regards to defence. Yeah, so New Zealand front rowers, James Fisher-Harris, 28 tackles, six misses. Jesse Bromwich, 14 tackles, zero misses. Um, and so I, I think that may be where Mal was leaning, is like mm. the fact that we want our front rowers to be missing, you know, low amount of tackles. And look, to be fair though, when you look at Fisher-Harris's attack, you go, well, that kind of balances out the fact that he missed that many tackles. Like his attack was fucking outstanding. Um Outside of that, Isaiah Yo, once again, just gets through so much fuck. He's just so durable. And he, this is Isaiah, like, we're not even talking about Isaiah Yo, guys. We're not even talking about him. This is his stats 185 meters, 42 tackles, and zero misses. Jeez. Like, we, and we're not even talking about him. Like, no one's even going, oh, Isaiah Yo was one of the best players on the field. Like, this is the, the, the level that he delivers week in, week out is outstanding. I will say though that I'm just I'm a little bit surprised that that Cleary Yo hasn't really clicked the way we thought it would. And and again, I, I think it's because they need more game time with with different players. I, I just for the life of me, I can't understand why we didn't give these guys more time to play together because. I don't know about you guys, but like I obviously I think Australia will win the grand final, and if Samoa do, fucking incredible. Never count them out. We've learned that now. Never count Samoa out, literally. But are we convinced that this is the most cohesive they could possibly be right now, guys? The yes, no, maybe Australia. I, that is. I'm not. I stand by it from last week, and people might say we're being stubborn or whatever. But I mean, mate, all you have to do is is look at the stats of Nathan Cleary. He ran. He ran for what did he run for? Two hundred and. What did he 158 run? Meters, 174 meters. 174 meters. Like, and that's simply because when it like it's to Nate's credit, I know people want to bag him for his run meters because he runs too much, but he ran every time there wasn't something on. That's the beauty of what Nate does. If the guy outside him isn't isn't in a better position, he'll take it himself. And he constantly had to do that because this kangaroos team is just out of whack. If, you, if you, you look at our spine there, and you've got Tedesco, Cleary, Munster, and Hugh slash Harry Grant. Four absolute superstars, and they all had, you know, I think by their standards, pretty quiet games. Was there a standout moment for any of them where you were like, yeah, shit, that's what you come to expect? Every one of them. And that comes back to Kempi. We spoke about it a lot last week, but, you know, time on ground together, and they haven't had enough of it. Yeah, yeah. And look, and, and people that, you know, Cleary is the big superstar, so everyone wants to, but he still had 609 kicking metres. He had two line break assists, five tackle breaks. So it's like he's still in – like it's not – we're not seeing the normal Cleary that just tears teams apart. But for people saying, oh, it was terrible, this, that, and the next thing, it's like, fuck. He changed his game plan mid-game. He said 609 kicking metres, and that is – that's 100 more metres than Jerome Hughes had. You know, so – and Jerome Hughes is arguably the second best seven in the competition. Um, and so – I think that, that you would have to, if I'm being honest, I think Australia are strong favourites going against Samoa. Uh, my concern for Samoa is, is like, was that their grand final? Not, not they didn't think it was their grand final, but emotionally, when all that just comes out of you, how do you get back up the next week after you've just made history? Now, again, never count Samoa out. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it has to be noted that that adrenaline and chemical dump and physicality of the last two games they've played. Meanwhile, Australia haven't played anywhere near as good as they can play. 
I would say Australia are probably strong favourites. Um, but yeah, in regards to the, the Aussies, at the end of the day, they're doing their job. They're doing their winning games and they're in the, the World Cup final. So <laughs> you you got to give them credit where credit's due. Um, it's I think that the fact that they've gotten through this big match where New Zealand are the perfect side to unsettle you because they're so big and aggressive. I think we're going to see a much better, much more clinical, much more gelled side in the in the grand final. Um, I just wish that we had have seen that this gelled side maybe a week or two earlier, in my opinion. Uh, any other thoughts on Australia, boys? Uh, just one that's probably a little bit more random. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, though. You just mentioned that, and I'm surprised too, that Isaiah Yeo and Nathan Cleary, they haven't had as much impact as I anticipated that they would. Are we at all worried about Penrith next year without Appy? I think it puts a lot more pressure on these two, or do we just think that they're going to go back to their Penrith system and everything will be as per usual? Well, look, if Sonny Luke can fix, like he's def- not fixed, but just slightly improve his defence, he's quite a small player, I think they'll be fine because him in attack, he is fucking silky. He's silky in attack. Um, but it's it's a question because at the end of the day, we've spoken about it ad nauseum. When did the tides turn for Penrith? Who's happy Coruscant? Who's happy Coruscant? And so it is going to be interesting to see how they handle that. I think they'll be fine. I think that their systems are so strong. I also think that they're in such a strong position right now. If they struggle next year, they'll be able to recruit essentially whoever they want that's off contract in regards to the nine position. And also you've got Mitch Kenny there that he played, how many minutes did he play the grand final? Substantial minutes, what, 30 minutes or so? Yeah. Um. And so maybe he mixes it with Sonny Luke and maybe that's what Ivan Cleary has been doing is preparing for life after mm-hmm. Appy and that's why we saw him, you know, move to the bench. Um, now, on to New Zealand. Um, so, uh, I, I know it's disappointing. Like, it's going to be devastating for Kiwis fans, but I don't think you should be disappointed at all. Like, I really don't. I think you proved that the gap between Australia and New Zealand is fucking minimal. Like, it is tiny. It is it is a ball play here. It is a knock-on. It is a it's a, a lacking off in defense for one second. It's a call. It is so small and getting smaller by the day. Dylan Brown, Jerome Hughes both proved that, you know, although we, we sit here and we rant and we rave about Munster and, and, and Cleary at club level, I think Hughes and Dylan Brown proved that Hey, it is not a foregone conclusion that on a day they can't be the best halves in the competition together. I think they're outstanding. I think Dylan Brown, especially in this first half, was outstanding. Exciting times for New Zealand with Jerome Hughes and and uh, Dylan Brown. You know, Hughes is what probably 26, 27. Dylan Brown is about twenty two. Really, really exciting times. Um, Joey Manu, I thought he was incredible in the first half. I thought he picked his times much better this this um, this game. Whereas I felt last game, as we discussed, I thought it was a, you know maybe a little bit um, too much. But I thought this game he picked his moments perfectly. Um, you know, it's yeah. Look, it's 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 hard to speak negatively about New Zealand because at the end of the day, Australia is Australia. You know, like they they are the top tier nation, although we're ranked fourth, which is ridiculous, but whatever. Uh, outside of that, Tarpanir was good. I love Nelson, Asafa Solomona back in the middle, absolutely fucking rampaging through us. Uh, what did you guys think about New Zealand? Just on the Joey Amano, we obviously spoke about him last week. 
I thought he found an incredible balance the other day. I mean, for the first time during this World Cup, it felt like Jerome Hughes and Dylan Brown were controlling this side. And it just felt like he was just playing his role really well. Then I got to the end of the game and I checked the stats. He still ran for 300. <laughs> like, he's an absolute freak. But he at no point did I feel like it was Joey Manu ball like it has been for the last few weeks. So credit to him. I thought that was sensational. I thought that... And you sort of alluded to it before, Timmy, that they sort of they went into their shell a little bit in the second half. I thought there was a it's about a six minute period in between the fiftieth and the sixtieth minute. There was Peter Hicko. He he shot up uh, in defence at one point, gave away a penalty. It was it was a tough one to be fair. He's just coming. He was down in their end, just trying to put pressure on. There was that penalty. Then they had the penalty the next set on last tackle where Brandon Smith tackled Isaiah Yo. They got the penalty there, and Cam Murray scored that try. As soon as Cam Murray scored that try. They brought Tino on the field. And then from, from that little 10-minute period, as much as the score was close, I sort of felt like New Zealand were going after that point. It was just just a two- or three-minute little domino effect. Like, fuck, you've got a feel for cheese on that play, don't you? Like, if you go back and watch two sets before, he was exhausted. He was out on his feet. He still made a try-saving tackle on the play before. And then and it just shows, in, you know, I was going to say in the NRL, in rugby league, whatever it is, if you are just half a yard off, it might as well be a mile when you've got a guy like Cam Murray running at you. You just saw his eyes light yep. up, didn't you? And of, just, yeah, of, of all players. Yeah. I just don't know why they played him for so many minutes. Yep. I just it that that to me was a wrong call. Um, I just he he can't. He's too he's too explosive. I, I really feel you want to give Brandon Smith, you know, twenty five minutes off the bat or even thirty. You bring him off. And then maybe the last twenty minutes of a game. I just don't know why. Um, yeah, I just don't know why you would give him that many minutes. He's just—he's too valuable to give that many minutes to. You want him every run he takes, every tackle he makes, fresh. Essentially, yeah. Of course, he's going to gas a little bit, but I do think that that was a little bit of a, a tough on on Brandon. Like, obviously, it was still him that missed that role, whatever. But I just think he probably wasn't utilized correctly. And look, maybe. If I'm remembering incorrectly, do you do you know when he came on and off? I felt like he was playing quite long minutes. He play, ended up playing 62 minutes, but I, it, to my understanding, that was just the last 20. If, if I'm incorrect, last 18. Um, he went he, off just after Cam Murray scored that try, which yeah. was 52nd minute, so about 55. Then he must have come back for the last. Yeah, couple he, he played the first 56 minutes straight, Kempi, which yeah. I, I think is just and I, like if you have a look in that 56 minute, he pretty much takes himself off. Yeah, he's just like mate. I'm fucking done. And and right. we chatted a bit about it last week, about how I think it was a clear ploy from Madge Maguire to get big minutes into him from the start of the tournament. So when all these stars inside were rested and whether that be mid-game or missing games, whatever, Cheese played all five games, minutes, 71, 80, 80, 64, and then 62 uh, against Australia in the weekend where, as you said, he basically pulled himself off. So... The ploy was there that they wanted big minutes in him, despite having Jeremy Marshall King, who's obviously was outstanding this season, showed that they... Hindsight's a great thing. We mm. know that. But probably could have gone this sort of dual-hooking rotation. They ended up going with Foz there on the bench anyway. But I think they wanted bigger minutes out of Cheese, which he couldn't handle it. And again, no knock on him. Like, Kemp, you going about over and over again with Cheese how at the moment, he's built like a lock and he's, you know, he's shedding a little bit to get back down to sort of a hooker size to play big minutes. But um, unfortunately, it became a really telling part of the game. And, you know, if we if we sat here and patted everyone on the back, there'd be about three people listening to this podcast. But it, it was a the big turning point of the game because he couldn't get off his line because he was so gassed. So I said, hindsight's a great thing, but 
you just it didn't pay off that one, did it? Tell you what, if well, you're a Roosters well, fan, you must be excited. Brandon Smith arriving to you after that happening to him, like mm. he's well, he's well, going to be ready to go next year. Well, look at this. This is Australia. So you got Harry Grant and Ben Hunt. So Ben Hunt, Origin hooker, rah rah, experienced player. He played 45 minutes. Harry Grant played 35 minutes. <clears throat> Why is Brandon Smith playing 62 minutes when Ben Hunt and Harry Grant are playing? those minutes when if you were to select a side Ben Hunt and, and Harry Grant would probably get selected before him I, I personally think that it was <clears throat> again it was his error for sure but I think it was unfair on uh, Brandon Smith to expect an explosive hooker this is not Cameron Smith we're talking about this is not you know a wily hooker that just knows how to get through certain areas of the field we're talking about literally literally one of the most explosive hookers we've ever seen play the game. I'd argue he could go toe-to-toe explosive-wise with any hooker that's ever played the game. I think it was an error to leave him on that long. Even though I'm not saying that it wasn't his fault, you make your tackles rah-rah, I just think it was an error, especially when you look at the Australian side and Harry Grant's getting 35 minutes. You're going, what? Like, and I, and I think craziness. I think can be when in all these other games where Madge was getting the big minutes into him, going, all right, you've played 80, you've played 70, you've gotten through it fine. Well, you know, when there's 70 points on the board, you're getting stoppages all over the time. You, you know, you're cruising, you're not doing too much work in D. It's pretty easy. Uh, and that probably masked a little bit the fact that he wasn't getting through, he was getting through that easy. But when you pin him up against a, the fast pace of a semi-final with Australia... You know, it was just never real. It wasn't realistic, was it? And just to reinforce Kempi's point as well, Ben Hunt did his forty-five minutes in two stints. They used three yeah. interchanges yeah. on their two hookers. Yeah, it's just it's too, the game is too fast to expect an explosive hooker. So I, I'm not even saying in hindsight. Like I even think going into this tournament, I would never expect Brendan Smith to play those long minutes. Like it's just, I just don't think it's good. In today's game where the ruck is so quick, you just, unless you've got, as I said, unless you've got Cam Smith the goat, you need someone to come in and split those times up so they can stay up with the, the, the um, speed of the play the ball. Um, so, yeah, look, it is what it is. Brandon Smith, we all know he's going to be back and back in a big fucking way, big, big way. Uh, we've seen what he can do. He's a premiership winner. He is going to be electric. And, and what's what's perfect about this is guess who's sitting on the bench waiting for Brandon Smith to give him a break? Connor Watson. You know, like <laughs> this this duo is going to be fucking phenomenal. Um, now, a few other players. Isaiah Papali'i, once again, fuck, just gets through so much work. Like, he's just relentless. He's just relentless. Uh, Tarpanet, once again, proving his class. This is what Tarpanet did. 143 metres, 36 tackles, zero misses, four offloads. Four offloads, the most of any forward on the field. Um, you know, he's just he's getting to the territory where you almost go, Did the Raiders get a bloody bargain? Did they get a bargain <laughs> with this guy? And I know he's on Bitcoin, but this year for him has been absolutely phenomenal. He just went against the Australian team forward pack and and was arguably the best one of the best forwards on the field, if some would consider him the best forward on the field. Uh and he was doing it at 13. He wasn't even playing front row like he does at club. He's incredible. Um, Mulatalo, fuck, he's, he's slowly creeping up into that top tier of winger for me. Like, he's just so, so silky. He's just, 
quicker than you give him credit for. He makes big plays usually when you need him to. Um, you know, once again, 128 meters. He had two line breaks, uh, four tackle breaks, uh, an offload. He, he's something special, Mulatalo. I really like him. And he only played 60 minutes. He went off injured as well. Yeah, yeah. And we go back to the game before. Although he had that one error, outside of that, he was incredible against Fiji. Yeah. Uh, I thought um, Dylan Brown was really good too, Kempi. I mean, if I'm Parramatta fans, like I know they've lost Reed and guys, but fuck, I'm so excited about how he's coming on. I thought he was really good in this game. We I spoke before about, you know, everyone said, oh, Nathan Cleary, he, he's run too much, blah, blah, blah. Till Brown had 26 runs for 180 metres, pretty much the same. No one said a thing about it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like I, I love everything about Dill Brown. I really like the way he's coming on for Parramatta, and I, I hope that he can come back next year and be as good. He made what did he make? Twenty four tackles in this one, missed one against the Kangaroos. Jeez. Yeah. And like we're talking about the Kangaroos with the craziest edges you can find. Like the edges of the Kangaroos is a joke, like an actual joke. Um, so as I said. It's very disappointing for the Kiwis. I know some people feel like they didn't get some calls. Personally, I thought the refing was quite even in the sense that there were some Australian calls we didn't get. There were some Kiwi calls they didn't get. Um, there were some people even complaining about the uh, Rapana offside. I was like, he was clearly offside. Like, he was clearly offside. I don't understand that. Um, I mean, even I think even the commentators were saying, Oh, was he, you know, was he on? You know, it was bizarre. Like he was 100% anyway. Um, I, I think that New Zealand have a lot to be proud of. And put it this way, and take nothing away from the other team, if they're on the other side of the, the, the comp, I think they make the grand final. Mm. Um, and again, that's not to be disrespectful to anyone. And, and that's just an opinion. That's not a fact. Like maybe Samoa will come out and fucking blitz them. Who, who knows? But I just think that. They have. They do not need to hang their heads in shame at all. I think they're building something really fucking special. And put it this way, if we get into the next World Cup and they're not at least like essentially as good as Australia, I'll be on paper. I'll be surprised. I will honestly be surprised. Yeah, one more Kempi that I forgot to add, and you'll be very surprised to hear that it's a it's a Canberra Raider. But Jordan Rapana, uh, he had a wonderful World Cup, and that line break he made with five ten to go, where was where he found Chans. Like, had they scored off that and won the game against the Aussies, would have gone down. Like, I don't, I can't remember who he burst through, but it would have gone down as one of the all-time plays to bust the line off. Was it a kick return or a scoot or something? It was unbelievable. It was a kick return, and it was off the back of a couple of pretty poor mistakes mm. from Rapana. But that's Rapana. Oh, he, he can make yeah. mistakes, but it doesn't rattle him. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't remember his last mistake. He's just ready that. to make a difference the next time. Like it's unreal. A, like a goldfish. He forgot what yeah. happened before, but <laughs> onwards to the future. And uh, the other thing with Rapa, got to give him credit for his goal kicking because we were all very critical, myself uh, included, with his, uh, I think it was after the quarterfinal, had a bit of a stinker saying, you know, such a concern for them going forward. But he nailed in the semi final against Fiji uh, a Really difficult kick from the sideline with a bit of rain around, and that ended up being pretty pivotal. They were up 20 to 18 at one point. Uh, kicked three from three in the semi against Australia, and just, he delivered. And I, I didn't think he had that goal-kicking ability in him, but uh, Mad showed faith in him, and we were sort of sitting there thinking, oh, could they have picked someone else, but hit him really well by the end of the tournament. Yeah, I know that we don't, I know that people get very upset with the, the ifs that we throw out sometimes, but if that Jerome Hughes grubber... It's just a couple of centimetres in. Kiwis, they're, they're in a World Cup final all of a sudden, and the story's very... I, I know we don't like ifs, and it didn't happen. I get it. 
But they weren't far off, mate. Well, it's just it's an example of like you know you get you get so caught up in the devastation of a loss, you forget how close you were to you know how minimal changes can change everything. I think even Michael Maguire said after the game, you know what we do know now is is that gap between us and Australia is absolutely closing. Um, exciting times, such exciting times for uh, Australia. Did you uh, hear I mean, what um, New Zealand? Did you hear what Brian Fletcher said? In the commentary after it, they showed Madge and he was really upset and everything. And Fletcher goes, he's just realised he has to go and join Ricky Stewart down in Canberra now. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Fletcher's the best. Fuck, I love him. He's so good. Um, yeah, so look, Kiwis, obviously disappointing. There's no denying that. But it, what a game of footy. What a fucking game. Of, like two points, two points. Um, so I don't think they need to be disappointed at all. I don't think they need to change much. I think Michael Maguire is doing a really good job with them. Um, he seems to, they seem to, it's, it feels like, and I understand the last few years of Michael Maguire's career at Rabbitohs wasn't the best, but he seems to be a coach that needs to work with elite. Like, I'm not saying the Tigers aren't elite players, but the tippity top, they seem to respond to him quite well um, because I think he's doing a great job with New Zealand. They, they seem connected. They seem happy. They seem super aggressive when they play. Um, energetic, fit, all of those things. I understand they train with their clubs all year, but this was a high-quality performance by New Zealand. Like, let's not get it twisted. I, they were they dominated a lot of the game, and it just took some special plays from the game's literal biggest superstars to turn it around for us. Because like, New Zealand completed at eighty-eight percent, eighty-eight percent. Like, you can't give yourself much better of an opportunity to win the game than that. The only difference is is again, as I said, is just the fact that we have these guys that are the, at the tippity, tippity top in key positions of the NRL. That's That, that was really the, the only difference. And the thing is, is Jerome Hughes and, and Dylan Brown and Joey Marnie, for example, they're moving towards that top. They're just, they're, they're moving towards it. So who knows where that where this ends? So don't hang your head at all, I think, uh, Kiwi fans. Now. Hey, just, that, just, just before we move on, sorry, Ken, I was just going to say, like, we've obviously spoken about it the last few years about how tough it's been for the New Zealand Warriors and, you know, obviously recruitment's been tough and everything. I mean, you have a look through this Kiwi side. There's, there's 18 players that were named the other day, not a single one of them from the New Zealand Warriors, which is just crazy. It just shows, once again, the tough situation they're in, doesn't it? They're, produ- they're producing the talent. They're, they're producing the talent, but they just can't keep them there at the moment. The last few years has just made it even harder to think that the Kiwis lose to the Kangaroos by two and there isn't a single New Zealand warrior in that side. It's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, I brought this up earlier in the year, boys. Um, I personally think, and you know, I know that it's very easy for me to sp- spend other people's money, but I think the NRL are crazy not to invest more in New Zealand juniors staying in New Zealand. If we want the game to grow, we need New Zealand warriors to be strong. We need to incentivize these young fellas to stay in New Zealand uh, because there is no denying that the talent that they're producing is fucking amazing. And if you could even put like, you know, yesteryear, if I, you know, maybe I'm I'm getting my numbers wrong, but I feel like yesteryear you'd have at least six or seven warriors in that side to say that you've got no warriors in that side. It's I understand the last couple of years it's been, you know, with everything going on in regards to lockdowns, but we need to find a way to give the warriors more money so that they can say to these younger players, Yes, there may be more opportunity in Australia or, or whatever, but we have the best young system in the competition. We need to replicate what Penrith did. Because, like, think about it. 
a lot of those Penrith players are young Polynesian players. What does New Zealand have like abundance of yeah. young Polynesian players? Um, so, yeah, look, we've spoken about this before. I, I think it's crazy we don't try and help Warriors out in, in keeping the youth there. And uh, I've got to fall on my, for- on my sword, sorry. Charles, he's the only New Zealand Warrior who's going back there. No. But still, well, one out of 18. Technically, he's not. He's not, well, yeah, yeah. Technically, yeah. He's, yeah. But it can be, I can already um, read the comments, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. It's, of course. Like, it's like leaving uh, the Melbourne Storm, mate. You don't succeed elsewhere, just like the Raiders. You leave us. <laughs> you put a nail through your career. Um, yeah, so, look, yeah, anyway, we, we could talk about during the year, but you're, you're totally right. It's a great point to bring up. Uh, as I said earlier, guys, don't forget, Bloke Soccer Jerseys dropping Wednesday, the 23rd of November. Limited amount, 6 p.m. Make sure to be there. Uh, also, grab a case of bloke beer, you mad dogs. Seriously. <laughs> I've getting a lot of uh, people tagging me in photos. The, the, the summer is coming. It's warming up. The boys are out to play. So get yourself a bloke in a bar beer. It is a beautiful, easy drinking beer. We're in every single Celebrations, Bottle IGA Plus Liquor, and Porter's Liquor, and New South Wales and ACT. Uh, we've also got a store locator on our website. You just put in your postcode. It'll show you the nearest stockist in, anywhere in Queensland, New South Wales. We're in Victoria as well. We're in ACT. Trust me, guys, if you if you sit for hours and listen to us talk utter, utter nonsense and you enjoy it and it brings joy to your week, go down and grab a case of Bloke in a Bar. You will not be disappointed. It's easy drinking, beautiful beer. We've got a mid-strength as well. Head to blokeinabar.com and check her out. We've also got a bunch of merchandise on bloke.shop if you want some uh, some hats. Uh, our Legionnaire hats, they sold out in like a day, which is crazy. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, bloke.shop, but also grab a case of Bloke in a Bar beer. Give her a crack. It's a beautiful, easy drinking beer. And like, what a deal. You get a sports network and a beer. How good. Like, what? tell me other beers has a sports network. Come on. Come on, boys. <laughs> anyway, um, now on to the next segment. Hastings and Clemmer swap deal. Only reports at the moment, but let's just say I've got a strong sneaking suspicion I can sniff a swap in the air. Now, maybe that's due to the size of my beak, or maybe that's because <laughs> I know rugby league. Um I think Hastings is. Uh, I think it's. I think it's a good swap. I think it's. It's not a good swap for Newcastle in the sense that, like, Clemmer is their best player. Uh, really interesting the fact that it seems that Newcastle don't want to. Um, I guess extend Clemmer. I'm not sure what the deal is there. What do you guys think of like from a from a half perspective? I think it's a really smart idea. I think Hastings would be great for them. From a perspective of Clemmer being their best player and their leader, it is surprising. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because you've obviously... Uh, like, there's been some weird shit happened there with Clemmer over the last few months, hasn't there? Like, I just... I don't know. I I don't have a huge problem with it. I, I also... I like the fact that, yes, they're losing Clemmer. He's a fantastic front row. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, if you believe how much he's getting paid there as a front rower, for me, I think it's overs. I've said a number of times I wouldn't pay that much for a front row forward. They've also got two other state of origin front rowers in the club, in the Saifidi boys. They've got a couple of, you know, your your croakers and these sort of guys that can fill that role. Adam Elliott comes to the club as well. He'll play as a middle as well. So I understand where you come from, Kempi, and I think that Clem is a tremendous player. But for me, when I've got other state of origin front rowers in the side, I'm happy to let one go to get a half back because if there's one thing we've learned in the last 12 months in rugby league... It's how important a halfback is. You look at all the clubs that gained halfbacks last year, they all improved out of sight. You look at the ones that lost halfbacks, example, Newcastle, 
complete and utter bed shit. So I, I just think that when you've got a superstar like KP and it's pretty evident they haven't worked out how to unlock him and how to utilise him properly, to get a halfback like Hastings who he's not the quickest, he's not the most talented, but he can just stick to a game plan and he can just unlock the guys around him. He's, he's shown it at the West Tigers, you know, in the few games that he was allowed to play halfback and guide a team around. The Tigers actually looked half decent. They beat Parramatta, who went to a grand final. I, I, I think it makes sense for um, the Newcastle Knights. And yes, you're giving away a great front rower, but you're gaining a, a key position that you desperately need. Yeah, I just the only question I have, and, and the Cy Fee bros, great front rowers, but have they shown that consistency the way Clemmer has? I, <clears throat> I, I'm not saying I'm against. I'm not saying I'm against it at all. I'm just saying, put it this way: How often do we see a club's best player from that year get traded away? It's just interesting. And I mm-hmm. uh, look, he's on a big contract. There's no denying that. But it's just really, it's a big move that probably won't get talked about that much. Like we're not actually understanding. David Clemmer was their best player last year, and now he's being traded. It, it is. It. I think it represents much more than just oh, he's on a lot of money and we need to move him on. I think there's. There's a lot of change happening at the night, so it's it's interesting. Timmy, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's a, a really wonderful swap deal. I think both clubs get exactly what they need for next season. The Knights, number one, I'm like, I'm so sick of having the conversation about them the last couple of years about not having a, you know a talent. Uh, I don't want to be harsh on the most that have been there, but you know a top notch, high quality NRL halfback, and I think in Jackson Hastings they'll get that. Just a bloke who can come in. Give his all, not saying the other boys didn't, but just can lead them around, take a bit of pressure off KP and hopefully help unlock Kalen Ponga. Um, but I just think he will be perfect for that club, uh, what they need on the field. And then on the flip side, Clem, yeah, I'm with you, Campbell. It's odd. I don't know if there's more going on than meets the eye or why it's a bit of an odd one, but they needed the Knights a halfback more than they needed another top-line front rower. So they... I think he was expendable in that sense. As big a loss as he'll be, I think they can cover it well enough. Um, and the Tigers getting what they need, and that's a, just another top-quality big boy in David Clemmer. You know, a side who at times in the last couple of seasons have struggled to show a bit of ticker. Well, Clem will come in there and be like, you look at their pack now. They'll have, say, him and Twole up front, Papali'i and hopefully Johnny Bateman on the edges, Appy at hooker. Um, that is a wonderful forward pack. And then we go, as much as it's disappointing to see Jackson Hastings leave the Tigers after what he did coming in for them this season, despite the result, three into two didn't go in the halves. Um, so they didn't need three big money halves and they've lost one of them. But I think both clubs are big winners. Yeah. Uh, look, I agree with you in regards to you've you got to make a tough call and, and they absolutely are desperate for a seven. Like, I agree. It's just so like he's been their best player. It's just a surprising. I just don't think you'd ever see that. At like, mm. I'm not saying that Newcastle have specific issues that like, oh, it's something to worry about. I'm just saying I don't think it's getting enough. Like, whoa, shit! Your best player from last year is literally getting traded. But from a Tigers perspective, I think it is absolutely fantastic in the sense that they're clearly not going with Hastings. Like for some bizarre reason, that they just decided not to go with Hastings. Uh, Clemmer is going to be perfect for them. When you name that forward pack, especially if John Bateman can get there, look, he's kind of denied it to a degree, but let's just let's just pretend that he's going to get there. That's a different team. That's a different team. Like, are they are they at the top tier? Like, obviously, not. no, I don't think so. 
but it's building towards something much, much better. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see Newcastle's forward pack next year, though. Like, uh, it's going to be, I look at that forward pack and I go, yeah, a lot of talent there, but how much experience does that have in, in, in the, the big dog positions? I, I'm, it's, it's, put it this way the Saifidi brothers now, it is do or die in the sense of they're origin players and they, they're guns. But they need to go from young, really good front rowers to leaders. That, 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 that is their mantle now. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. I hope they'll do fine. I'm not saying that I've got any evidence to suggest they won't do fine. Um, but it is a reality that they have a lot of pressure on their shoulders going into – they can no longer, you know, as a team go, Clem, you're the man, like mm. you're experienced, you're the fucking big dog. No, no, those two are the big dogs now, and they got to they got to show it. And I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, yeah. So as I said, very surprising. Needs a bit of attention. The fact that their best player is being traded, but probably a, a net win for both clubs. A net win for both clubs. I think, um, as you sort of said, Kempi, you know, you, you sort of hesitated when you said it. But you said, oh, you know, like you wouldn't sort of see the best teams release their best player. For me, oh, I understand where you're coming from, but I also think. The best teams don't start a season without a halfback, which is the situation the Newcastle Knights found themselves in. So as much as I understand where you come from about them losing their best player, you can't compete in this competition without a halfback. I think it is so evident. I think they've sort of had to remake their bed, their, their bed here and, and just cop that on the chin to be able to get a seven into their side. Oh, for sure. I understand their thinking. I, I agree. Like I understand their thought process, but I just it, it even, even not the best yeah. teams. Yeah. When have we ever seen this happen? Maybe, like, maybe there's been a time, but since I've been watching footy, and um, I'm sure someone in the comments section will let me know, but I can't recall someone's best player being traded when they played their, like they were the best player that year. It's 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 not about the thought process because I get it. I, I agree with you, Guru. What about Mitchell it's, Pierce it's, last it's, year? <laughs> wow half kidding that's but low, let's be guru. serious that, no, that's low, guru. <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking um, yeah yeah I mean anyway so look win-win for both players win-win for both clubs just a very interesting time that's all that's all I'm kind of yeah. pointing towards um, I understand that they, they they're probably sitting around the contract table going fuck, we don't want to do this, but we desperately need a seven. And we, we're going to trust ourselves that the Saifidi brothers can step up and take that new role of like the big dogs in the pack. I'll say this too, Kempi, obviously with Hastings going there, you know, if KP plays a full season, do we think that the Newcastle Knights could play finals footy next year? Are you Like if KP plays a full year, do you think they can or not? Oh man, it's like footy, It's a week is a long time in footy. Mm. I will say like who's fullback? You know, who, who's their fullback? That's what yeah. I would like to know if KP plays six. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I, I'll, I'll just say how I feel right now. I'm not that high on the Knights for next season. More than happy, as you guys know, I'm more than happy to, to eat the humble pie and say the Knights are incredible. But at the moment, uh, when I see how much all these other clubs have improved, I don't know how... I, I can see them fighting for the eight, but I, if I was to predict a table right now, I probably wouldn't have them in the eight. Again, happy to be proven wrong, guys. Just giving you my opinion. Um, also, just quickly, so Adam Dwahi, I think it's Dwahi, that's how you say it now. There's reports that have come out and said that he's asking for 850K the first year and then 900K the next year. Um, I, I just, maybe it's true. 
maybe it's true he's asking that. And look, I understand halves are coming at a premium. Uh, and I, if it is true, like, I respect the fact that, you know, you go in high and then you hope you negotiate down. But I don't think anyone's going to be paying 850 or 900k for Adam Dwight. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. He's a great clubman. I think it's extremely surprising that Tigers haven't re-signed him yet. Uh, but I'd probably land him around the 500, 600k mark at the moment. Um, and and again, if, if I had to bet right now, I don't think he's asking for 900k a year. I, I really don't. Like, I can't see a world where... Maybe he is. I don't want to be disrespectful. I really like Adam. I really do. Um, but I just... That's a lot. That 900k? That sounds a bit... Put it this way. It sounds like... If I was a conspiratorial man, it sounds like a story that makes it look like, well, that's why we didn't re-sign him. Um, but again, I'm not a conspiracy guy, so I don't think that, guys. I don't think that. <laughs> just saying. Just throwing it out there. Uh, what do you guys reckon? He is an interesting guy like this because there has been a couple of stories come out in the last year or two that Adams then got on the front foot and said, no, nah, it's not true. Like There was that reports last year that he was refusing to play centre and go on a reserve grade. Adam came out and said, not true. Not what happens. So it is an interesting one. I, I can't imagine a world where anyone could pay 800K for Adam at this point of time in his career. He's a great player. Let's say 900. Oh, well, mate, no, 900. 900's, if he can get 900, good on him. That, that's a fucking cracking effort. But I agree with you, mate. I'd have him around the five or six. You get a very good player there. But I just don't think he's well-rounded enough. Like, it, like the report said he's, he's clarifying himself as a halfback. Yeah, like, and and that and that's it. Like you look at for starters, I know he was coming back from an ACL and he played was it half, not maybe not even half the season, but they got the wooden spoon. They haven't played finals since he's been there. Adam Adam Dwy is exceptional. He's a great footballer, but and we talk about paying for in particular halves on potential and, and can be paying the overs a little bit for them at times, but I think when we refer to that and why they can be worth it sometimes is that they're half backs, as you you say, Guru who, you know, even if they're not breaking games open, just the importance of an, an organising, game-managing halfback. And I don't think he is that. He's a big, ball-running 5'8", and there's not too many of those in the NRL that, you know, with what he's done so far in the NRL, that can get that amount of money. Like, Cam Munster can get it, and then some, because he's been there and done it and won everything. But, um, you know, eight, nine hundred's a lot of money to be commanding, whether it is or isn't. I, I think I'm with you, boys. I think sit on maybe 657 and even that's like all right you know he's getting a good deal out of it like it was only a year or so ago that we were sitting there going center or 58 what's his mm. best position i think we've i think it's pretty clear now it's 58 and if the reports are true if he's now calling himself a halfback i'm as confused as i've ever been he's not a halfback like it's yeah I, he he more reminds me of the Jackie Whiten mold yep. I, I think obviously Jackie Whiten's a better player but you know Jackie Whiten's a ball running six like that's what he is he's a big Dominant, great player. And so, like, is Jackie White even on 900K? Oh, probably not. Probably not. That's why I just I just ask every all the listeners, there, there is a world where this isn't true. So don't be like, oh, fuck you, Adam Dewey. You know, you're fucking asking too much. Mm. How greedy are you? Rah, rah. This, there's a world where this isn't true. Um, I just, just remember that. Uh, but it is the, the more the thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that it is interesting that the Tigers are yet to re-sign this guy. Like, Hastings is most likely gone. And so, who's going to partner Luke Brooks? I, it's it's very surprising. Um, but as you said, Guru, look, 
get as much as you can, Dwight. Like yeah. Adam, get as much as you can, mate. Like you're, it's a short time. You're in it. If you can get that deal, get that deal. If it is even true, or if it's seven hundred k, six, whatever it is, get as much as you can, mate. Um, but I, I lean on the side of I don't think that's true. I don't think he's asking for nine hundred k a year. I just, it's that seems a bit unreasonable. That's more towards your Origin players, like that's your Mitchell Moses. Even though I'd probably put Mitchell around the eight hundred to seven fifty to eight. Um, yeah, I just and it's also for your sevens usually, unless you're like a Cam Munster. Uh, but as I said, I'm a huge fan of Adam. He's a he's a great, great bloke. And um, I think he has a lot to offer a rugby league team. A lot to offer a rugby league team. Could you imagine him outside a, a, an elite seven? Like how good he'd be? Um, anyway. Uh, and even the Melbourne Storm wanted him. Melbourne Storm wanted him and the Tigers wouldn't let him go. Uh, so... Like it's, we're not sitting here saying that he, this guy isn't a high quality player. The Storm obviously rate him. This kid's, he can play. He can yeah. play. Uh, now, on to, I'll get through it quickly. RLPA deal. Um, so last week, so, so the CBA deal, the deal between the RLPA and the NRL, last week, you know, I brought up the fact that, you know, we may see stories coming out, painting certain pitches, and, you know, right on cue, we've seen a week of stories painting certain pitches. Uh, Look, I'm not going to get to the degree of it in regards to, I know this kind of like people glaze over with this kind of stuff because it's like, oh, these rich footy players, who cares? So basically the crux of it is, and you go to RLPA's Instagram, so RLPA, um, RLPA, you'll find it when you just pipe in RLPA. They have broken down what they believe is their side of things. And the crux of it is this, is the revenue of the game has substantially gone up. This is what the Rugby League Players Association is saying. And yet the NRL allegedly is asking them to take a lesser percentage of revenue than they're already on. So imagine this. You work for the beak, the great beak, great boss. I treat you well. I treat you well, baby. I treat you well. We get to the CBA, the agreement. The company's killing it. We're making all of this cash, all this cash. And then I come to you and I say, I, you know, I say, oh, you're going you're gonna to earn X amount more dollars. And you go, oh, how good. But then you find out, well, actually, that's less percentage of the revenue that I was earning before. You would be like, I don't, I'm not taking a backward step. How's that fair? We should go up evenly in percentages in regards to um, as the company grows, You know, I, I should get uh, the same percentage as I was get, getting. Because the thing is, is the players are not asking, again, according to RLPA, the players are not asking for more than percentage than they're already on. The RLPA has uh, put out that they're asking for the same. So they're not asking for an increase in regards to percentage. And so that's why it's, it's quite shocking when you see these articles where you go, it's funny. There's an old saying, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. But I tell you what, numbers can stretch the truth. They can stretch the <laughs> truth. Um, and so basically, at the moment, uh, they, they are being asked to take less percentage of revenue but more players are coming in. So you're actually spreading less percentage of revenue across more players. So for example, let's say you're employees, you've been working all year, you've killed it. And then you've been asked or you, you want to bring on 10 more employees. You've got to spread that less percentage across those employees. Um, another thing quickly, you know, a lot of people had negative things to say about Harry Grant and there was, I guess, selective headlines that he was implying that he would be better off being a tradie. He was saying, not about himself, th th this is a thing that people don't realise, these big dog players that you see coming out and speaking, 
they're not speaking about themselves. They're putting themselves out there for their friends that are the lower tier players. For example, I would have been considered a lower tier player. First year, I was on $4,000. Second year, I was on $25,000. Made my debut on the $25,000. Third year, $50,000 plus match payments. That was my biggest year. I think I earned around $100,000. So that was my third year. Now, don't forget, I've been playing sports since I was four years old. I have sacrificed so many things in my life to get to where I was. Fourth year, uh, signed a 90 grand contract with the Warriors, no match payments. Fifth year, 50 grand contract with the Broncos, no match payments. Uh, sixth year, uh, another 50 grand contract. And then last year was a 30 grand contract. Now, I'm not sitting here saying, well, it was me or, or whatever. I'm just trying to show you guys that like even a guy that played around 40 NRL games, the average was on less than a lot of people around that same age. And it's again, it's not well as me. I'm so fucking grateful and so happy that I got to do what I do and I wouldn't trade anything for it. I'm just showing you that the numbers of the lower tier players. Now, obviously, that's gone up substantially since. But the, the same people that like go, oh, well, a trade is earning 60K in his first year of his apprentice or 50K, whatever it is, 40K. If you were in the top 400 carpenters in the country, by the end of the first 10 years of your career, you will literally be earning millions a year because you would become a builder. You'd probably become a builder. And that's what we're talking about in regards to these footy players is like they are in the top 400 or so of a, a uh, business that generates billions and billions of dollars. So they should be compensated, especially by the fact that unlike a carpenter who can continually progress up the ranks for the next 50 years, they are done at 10 years, which is fine. No one's complaining about that, but it's just the reality of the situation. This is not the woe is me for the, the top tier footy players. They are sweet. They are set. This is about the battlers down the bottom that have to make the tough choice. Is it worth a low percentage of us playing NRL because it's high risk or should I go and get a trade and begin building my life for after rugby league? When I quit rugby league, I had nothing, no qualifications. I had no, I had to start from the bottom, which is fine. I'm again, it's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying you where are anyway. So that's, that's a player's perspective, guys. I understand there's a business perspective for sure. Um, and so just quickly in regards to, so the game um, revenue has increased by 25.2%. Um, in order for the players to share, remain consistent, the NRL players. Uh, oh, anyway, I won't. Okay, so the players have historically received thirty-seven point four percent of the NRL gross revenue. The NRL, this is according to RLPA, is uh, allegedly offering them thirty-three point six percent of the increase. Uh, it is so. It's a step back. Anyway, go to RLPA uh, players, guys. Um, you know, I spoke about last week. You can understand where the NRL are coming from. They want to make as much money as they can so they can invest it in certain areas that they feel is right. The RLPA players are saying, we want more. Uh, we want to be able to see how much Origin makes, the grand final, rah, rah. But that's just a, the, the, the gist of things, guys. Make your own minds up. I'm not here to change any minds in regards to, well, hopefully I can change your mind, but I'm not here to force my, my opinion on you. Any thoughts quickly, guys, before we move on? I just want to echo what you said on Harry Grant, mate. I mean... <laughs> Imagine the the like for example, Kempi, as you said, when you're on the contracts you're on, 
Like, could you imagine if, what, in 2010, Den and Kemp come out and complain because he was getting, like, no, no one had fucking listened to you for half a second. You got a guy like Harry Grant who comes out to defend, and you described it as like headline grabbing. It wasn't like headline grabbing. It was taking complete context out of everything that Harry Grant said and trying to get clicks off the back of that. And fuck, I, I know Twitter can be an absolute cesspit, but that night was fucking crazy. Oh. No one wanted to read the entire quote. No one wanted to listen to Harry Grant. They just wanted to take that headline and put the footy in for no apparent reason. And, I mean, if I if I was another player like Harry Grant who considered coming out and defending some of the, some of the younger guys, less paid guys, I've got to think twice about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dylan Brown, to his credit, came out and defended him just just recently and said, he's not talking about you know us. We're lucky. He's talking about the battlers down the bottom that most likely won't play NRL. Um, and so, look, I I'm, look, I get the fan that's sitting there right now, going, "Oh fuck, he's serious. These, they get to play rugby league. I've got to go to a job that I hate that I get paid fuck all." I understand that, but just because you don't enjoy your job or it's tough, we don't get paid much doesn't mean that these guys aren't entitled to be compensated uh, fairly for what, what they do. And I've got to tell you as well, I have done both guys. I've been a tradie. I've played NRL. And being a tradie is tough. There's no denying it's a long grind. It's, it's monotonous. Being a rugby league player, in my opinion, is tougher. I, I, and I know people won't want to hear that. I, I get it. But like, put it this way. My, I've still got injuries to my body. I'll have, I'll obviously every rugby league player is going to have some sort of brain damage or CTE or whatever from rugby league. Whereas from from my trade, I was building towards something, and then it was good. It was safe. I didn't have anything to worry about. If I really wanted to, I could have become a builder or whatever. Anyway, again, it's not woe is me, guys. I'm just putting it in perspective of an ex player, and I understand the, the thought process of the other side. It's just a perspective of the other player. And I also, I understand the NRL. They're a business and they're trying to make as much money as possible. That is the quintessential part of the business is to try and make as much money as possible. But you have to find the balance between making as much money as possible or keeping employees happy so that you make more money. Whereas the the yesteryear of like, let's just treat our employees you know, like employees and we just squeeze everything out. They've actually done a lot of studies where the happier you you keep your employees, the more revenue you generate. And so you've got to find that balance. And that's just all a part of negotiations. Anyway, uh, Timmy, any thoughts? Yeah, no, look, well well summed up there, there Kempi. And it's, I just look back at it's obviously such a, a fine balancing act to, to keep everyone happy, as you alluded to. You go out to the, the last two years of COVID and the amount of sacrifice that players made, not just from moving away from homes and families for extended periods of time, but um, they also took pay cuts th- through that period, like a lot of people and a lot of industries did across the world. Um, we're very fortunate, well, the NRL are very fortunate that the game is absolutely booming out of a, a very tough two years. Uh, and if the, if the revenue is good and the money coming in is good, well, um, hopefully they do find that balance between what keeps the NRL happy and what keeps the RLPA happy. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, the, it, wasn't, it wasn't the top-tier players that struggled through COVID. Obviously, the moving away and did. Mm. It was the bottom-tier players that were actually on less than the grants or whatever, but they weren't uh, eligible for the grants because they still had a, a job or whatever. So there were some players that were on like, you know, really low money, like everyone. Everyone struggled. Everyone struggled. But it's just the reality of the situation. Um, and so it's just about that balance. You can understand what the NRL are trying to do. They're trying to make as much money as possible. The argument could be made. Maybe they're trying to keep some kitty aside for situations like this that may pop up again. That's a fair argument. Or maybe they're trying to save up money to purchase assets for the game. 
Um, you know, if that is the case, then you'd want some clarity around that. You know, maybe the NRL needs to sit down with the RLPA and say, well, the reason why we want more of the revenue is because we agree to you in, in principle that we're going to buy this asset, this, that, this, you know. And so that's about the clarity of where the money is going to be spent. I think where the Rugby League Players Association is coming from is where like, we just want clarity of like, where is the money going? What is it doing? And, and you know, some, some would argue that employees shouldn't, have that information. It's up to executive teams to take care of that. And then some argument, some argument could be made for, you know, the more transparency, the better, so that you know things move smoothly. I will say that you know rugby league is a different kind of beast. It's not a normal kind of business. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to lay that all out there, guys. If you see a, a player on a lot of money, you know, saying what Harry Grant is saying, he's talking about the battlers that probably won't play NRL. Like they probably won't play NRL. They'll they'll have to find a trade four or five years after you you found your trade or you, you know, did what, you know, like little things like traveling Europe when you're a teenager, all that kind of stuff. They, these guys, they don't do that. Not that it's bad. I would, I'm happy that I didn't do that. It's just, that's the reality of the situation. Um, anyway, onto the, the next topic, boys. Aaron Schott to the Titans. This come out of nowhere for me. I thought he was a great young gun for the club. I thought that, uh, I thought they were really building nicely with him. Now, it seems from what I've read, it seems like the dogs have gone, you know, we've got these young gun centers coming through. Aaron Shop's probably demanding decent-ish coin. We've got salary cap pressure. Maybe that's the reason, but it was a surprise. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I I don't know. It's a bit of a strange one. Like, I, I think Aaron Shop's a great player, and I think that he would have found himself this year playing outside Matt Burton, Viliami Kikau, with Josh Adekar outside him. Like, I think that's the best real estate you could probably get unless you're playing for the Penrith Panthers, essentially. Uh, moving to the Gold Coast Titans, who mate, they've got so many outside backs. I'm not sure if they needed him. He's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure if he's exactly what they needed. Um, but he, he is a good player, so he's, he's worth having. But it's just, I don't know, it's an interesting little swap deal. It, it, sort of, it took me by surprise because it's not what I would have ever assumed. If, if I was Aaron Trubb, I'd be putting in my contract that if I'm leaving that Canterbury left edge, I want to be outside Kieran Foran and Fafita. And I, I would literally have that in writing in my contract because if he moves up there and he ends up being an outside back on the other edge, outs, not outside Kieran Foran, I've got to ask why he went there. Yeah, I, I think it's like, yeah. I, I reckon I'm with you, Guru. My initial thought was just, wow, he's leaving prime real estate at a club on the up. And, and I thought he was perfect for what the doggies needed in just that... You know, we see at Penrith, Isaac Tungo, there's just that hard line running centre to unlock, uh, to unlock, you know, the way Villiami kick out plays and the way he, he can slide out the back at times for them. Uh, you know, even the Eels with like Tommy Opcic, the, the bigger bodied hard line running centre to open up space for, to get any sort of space for Sivo and get one-on-ones out there. I thought shot was perfect to the doggies, playing outside Burton, kick out, and they're the same thing. They need that hard line running centre not a nimble-footed, beat-you-one-on-one kind of bloke. They want blokes because the whole aim of that left edge is to get the Fox just a smidgen of space. And I thought he was the perfect centre to do that. Um, you know, maybe wrong, but he just must have got a decent sort of money offer, which makes sense because he's had a good couple of years by the Titans. And he goes up there and I actually really like him for the Titans because he's a solid footballer in attack, but... Their edges have been so brittle defensively the last couple of seasons. They've just built all their football on attack and putting points on and putting points on. They need some sturdy defensive players and some mungle in their back line. And that's what Aaron Shop is. So 
Um, without knowing that the sort of figures that he's on, I reckon he's a great get for them and exactly what they need. Yeah, I don't know what the figures are, obviously, but a three-year deal for a guy his age, mm. th- that's a pretty good deal to be able to lock up. And I think Phil Gould, he, he put out a tweet sort of saying that we couldn't compete with the deal. It's a great opportunity for Aaron Shop. And, yeah, the rumours are that it might allow them to sign Spencer Lenu. If that plays out, fuck, that'd be a huge get. All rumours, of course, but that'd be a fantastic get for them. Oh, man. If they get Spencer Linu for for shop, it's fucking masterstroke. Especially yeah. when you've got is it Alamotti, young fella mm. coming through. They've got him, and then they've got Skelton as well, who's another guy that came over from Rugby Sevens. Who if if either of those two land in that left centre spot, I think you'll see them both at some point next year. Both very very talented. Yeah, in regards to Timmy, your comments in regards to you know you think it's a good signing. I I, I do too because. Like the tough thing about the the outside backs for the Titans is like we're always waiting for them to just take that next step. Like they're so fucking good in ball running and attack. They're just every game you're sitting there going, "This is a these are premier centers. Like these are premier premier centers, almost to the point where Greg Marzu can't even get a spot in the wing because people are getting pushed out." And when you look at the defense and you go, oh, if they just could sort that defense out, you know, some of these guys would probably play for their bloody country. Like, um, you know, it's 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 a really interesting dynamic. And I think that the Titans just made the tough call of like, we can't spend another season with brittle defense. Like all year we've been talking about the Titans, like fix the defense, fix the defense. And I think they're making that call now, a tough call that's going to be, it's tough because a lot of their outside backs do so well in attack that it kind of masks, like you kind of go, well, they're so valuable for us in ball carrying. We kind of, we need to have them on the field. But then the, the, the amount of tries that get scored down their edges. And so the good thing is, is that the competition for outside backs is going to be outrageous. Like it's just going to go through the roof. So I can understand Guru as well in your, like they do have good centers. They just got to somehow bring that the whole game together but I think Shop's a good good signing because how many games have we seen where the Doggies have played some of the best centres in the game? And Shop's done a number on them in defence. Yeah, for sure. And I would argue that out of all their outside backs, based on his age and everything, I think he's the most complete one of them all. Would we yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Complete. Like, I would probably say, um, oh, my God, I'm having a brain. The centres. Um, Kelly. Kiwi fella. Got oh, Kelly, Pat, but Pat then Herbert. the other one. Paddy Herbert. Herbert. Herbert, Paddy Herbert. Like, I would say Kelly and Paddy Herbert's attack is probably a little bit better than Shops right now. But, yeah, defensively, uh, I think that you'd, you'd say – and, it, like, when you put it all together, plus you add in his age, yeah. you'd probably say Shop has the most upside at the moment. Now, if Herbert comes out and sorts the little things out, and same with Kelly, like, those guys are electric. I, I really rate them. they just got a, just a few little tweaks here and there. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Really interesting. Um, now, on to the next. Anything else on that, boys? All good. Uh, all good. Um, now, on to preview. Quick preview. It'll be quick because being all Australians, we're clearly all biased. But, <laughs> um, look, I think I think the, the Australians are going to be too strong. Too much talent across the park. Um I think the the showdown of Cleary Luai is going to be fucking fantastic. Obviously, it's Munster versus Luai. What about the, the the poetic nature of like Munster? He's a bit of a grub. Luai, they get amongst it. They all both get amongst it. But I, like we love the 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 character they bring to a game. But I just think um, 
I think the Kangaroos are going to be too much. I really do. I, I, I think that they haven't even gotten close to playing their best footy yet. And I think that seeing Samoa do what they do will almost not insult them because it's like so happy for them. A lot of those players will be mates, but almost go like, hang on a fucking sec. We are the big dogs here. If we like, we're not going to allow this to happen to our World Cup. Um, and you've and I've heard some interviews with players kind of going like, not chip on the shoulder because they're ranked fourth, but it's been spoken about in the Australian camp that they're currently ranked fourth in the world, which is outrageous. But you know, it's you could argue you could, you could make the argument it's insulting they're ranked fourth in the world. Um, so although I love the Samoa uh, romantic story. And I really do hope they put up a really strong fight. I just think Australia too fast, too quick around the ruck. Outside backs are too, you know, just going to be too much. And yeah, I think they get the win done. What do you reckon, Guru? Yeah, I just think the Kangaroos are going to have too much class. I mean, even the last few weeks, they haven't been playing fantastically. They just find a way to win, the same as last week. So, I yeah, I, I'll. I'll be cheering on the Kangaroos, but fuck, every time Samoa scores a try, I'll be up and about 100%. So it really is probably best case scenario for me, to be honest with you. I can sit back and enjoy this game. I'd rather the Kangaroos win. I can be happy either way. But uh, yeah, I just think they'll have too many, too much class. And as you said, can be going through that whole side. Just too many, too many big players in too many big positions, in my opinion. So yeah, Kangaroos. What do you reckon, Timmy? Yeah, I think that the Kangaroos will be too strong for them. Samoa, they need to throw something different at them. As good as their squad is, the Kangaroos have a better squad 1-17. to I think you're right in that they're scratching the surface of, of what they can achieve, this Kangaroos side. They haven't been terrific and they're still, you know, they're still in the World Cup final. Um, Samoa need to throw something different at them. And when I say different, something, you know, towards the Kangaroos, and it's, it's what Samoa have been doing the last few games. I alluded to earlier, but just offloading game. They, they're not going yep. to outclass the Australians, but anytime I see a sort of a decent underdog going into a game, the thing that comes to my mind if I was a coach is be, all right, how can we rattle them? And that is offloading. Getting the second phase going, have Suoliti powering off the back of that, a few of these bigger boys. Easier said than done, but Samoa have so much power and so much strength through their pack. If they can turn into a bit of a war of attrition and just a battle through the middle, they're big enough. They've got the talent in the pack to wear us out with if they do offload and keep us moving in defence um, and turn it into a real grind. Points can come off the back of it. I think if they try and outclass us with big sweeping backline plays, I don't think they will. But off the back of a few offloads, who knows? Anything could happen. It is the beauty of it for Samoa. All the pressure's on the kangaroos yep. at the end of the day. So they can have a... a a couple of just free throw at the stumps. If it works, it works. If it comes off, it comes off. There's all the pressures on the kangaroos here, so it's a perfect situation for Samoa. But yeah, I just think they'll have too much class. Yeah, t- totally agree with everything you said, Timmy. It's got to be offloads. It's that's the only thing you can't really train for, prepare for. They've got Junior Paolo, you know, a guy that is just so good at that kind of stuff. Their forward packs are big, they're strong. And when have we seen Australia struggle? It was when New Zealand were just up the guts big, big boys with offloads. And and that's where I feel the Samoa could cause... Look, I'm going to be honest. In my opinion, if they win, it would be one of the greatest upsets I've ever seen. Like, I, I, I truly believe that this Australian side should should get the job done. But there's something magical about this Samoan side, so you just don't know. Like, you don't... Not many... I, I personally didn't think they'd beat England, and they went out and did that. 
I personally didn't think they were going to beat Tonga, if I recall correctly. Then they went out and did that. Matter of fact, I was saying things like they need a, the admin need a restructure. How wrong was I? How wrong was I? So we cannot count out Samoa. The key for Australia is to, if, if Mal, in my opinion, the one key for him is to get these boys feeling almost insulted that everyone's on the Samoan bandwagon. He needs to get these boys almost angry. Like, because you can't, you're not going to sit there and tell, tell these boys, you know, oh, boys, it's, it's going to be like an origin match and, you know, the, like that on paper and this, that. These boys know that on paper, like Teddy, Munster, Cleary, you know, Latrell, Fox, like these guys know on paper that they should win it. But you need to get them in a mind frame of like, our almost our honour is being insulted here, and I think that that I, I, that's the feeling I'm getting from Australia that there's this kind of like, hang. And I'm not talking about just Samoa. I'm talking about them being sitting in this fourth, and and everyone getting on other teams' bandwagons, and you know now they're the big dogs. Everyone wants to cheer against them. There's been a few comments from players saying that when they play, they just get peppered by the crowd because they're the big dogs. So, yeah, it, I just cannot wait. What what an incredible moment! Just an incredible moment, and. As I said, it, like there's there's no part of me that wants Samoa to win. I want Australia to win. But in saying that, I'll be the least upset I could possibly be if Australia lose the game. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not stinging. Like if England beat us or the Kiwis beat us, I'm absolutely stinging. Um, England mainly. England for sure. <laughs> um, but if Samoa somehow pulled off a miracle, part of me would just appreciate the craziness that I've just seen, the incredible moment of rugby league. But it's still Australia till I die, boys. Australia till I die, baby. All day, every day, till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, I got shit to do. Fuck all years. I'm going to enjoy my life. Um, Especially Guru. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Make sure to grab a case of bloke in a bar. Beautiful, easy drinking beer. As I said, we're in every bottle of celebrations in New South Wales ACT. Get in, grab some, store locator, all that good stuff. Uh, and I'm just going to go for a, a nice little mosey on down in France, Nice, uh, and fuck myself. Thank you. <laughs>